Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. All right, welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in to episode 40 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, doing something a little different today. No no intro, no no 10-minute uh, rant with me saying, uh, let's wrap it up and get to the guest every six seconds and then continuing to talk for another 10 minutes. No, today we're just getting right into it. And on the phone, I have my boy Jay down in Iowa. He's already into the Canadian whiskey, folks, so this is uh, this is going to be a good one. Jay, how's it going tonight? Uh, pretty good, Darren. Thanks for having me on, man. And as we speak, I just poured whiskey number three, so I'm uh, I'm ready to go. There we go. No, like I said on Twitter today, uh, you know we're, uh, we're we're getting so low, we're going to reach up and touch bottom here tonight. Oh, I you had to be in a desperate way to call me, my friend, but I'm glad you did. And uh, I could throw out a story or two and a few names, and have a good night. No, absolutely. I know uh, we had talked on the phone before, and I know we've uh, yapped, obviously, uh, on Twitter and in private and stuff. And uh, I know uh, you have some stories, and you were uh, uh, a minor a minor league uh, quad city aficionado. And uh, I, anytime I could get to talk about the old uh, U-Haul leagues from the from the nineties and the early two thousands, it's always a good night. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll just sort of do that tonight. That sounds good. Yeah, there's not uh, there, there's not much better hockey for my money than you know late '90s, early 2000s United League hockey. And I'm I would hope that there's at least a couple people out there that would agree with me. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, they're not if they're tuning into this show. I mean, it's not uh, we're not they know we don't really we don't get into the NHL too much, not very often. Uh, it's uh, obviously a junior and and minor league heavy uh, show, which is exactly what I want and. Uh, you know, and this is really cool, and this is what I always say about as much as I can't stand social media and the cesspool that it is, there are some redeeming qualities to it, and one of them is uh, getting to talk to, you know, guys like yourself and Nick out there and uh, and Alec and, and all these guys that were, 
that are like minor league minor league guys, right? And uh, and it's really cool for me being in Western Canada. Of course, I mean it wasn't like the UHL and stuff was on TV. So, I mean, we never saw any of that, right? And the only reason I ever got to see anything was to get fight DVDs. So to be able to sit and talk with you and get your stories, because you were there firsthand, um, is, is really cool. Oh, absolutely. And and it's great because you'll have, you know, there was always four, five, six people in, in damn near every city that I got pretty good friends with. You know, I, I got my own stories and I got to hear their stories. And, you know, visiting these these barns that are 50, 60, 70 years old with roof tiles falling in and lights not working. And that's not, you can't get that anywhere else, but like the mid to low minors. And I loved every minute of it. No, absolutely. And, uh, no, that's why I always say same thing with junior. I mean, you know, major junior, like the Western hockey league grew up with the blades and stuff. And that was really cool. I love the, I love the WHL, but, uh, I always say my, my heart was always being junior A and the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League and the BC League and uh, um, I was I was always sort of leaned towards that so it, uh, yeah kind of the old uh, just yeah so just my love for the for junior and the and the minor leagues is uh, you know to me that's that's always kind of been where it's at but uh, but yeah getting well, into it cool uh, is, no go ahead well I was uh, not to interrupt you but I was looking back and you know some names like popped up and it's amazing how many guys played in you know like the sj and and the bc league yep and i mean listening to your show there's there had to be just killers coming up there for decades oh it was, it was called jungle a for a reason back then <laughs> yeah and it was uh yeah and i mean well and then we were talking well we'll get to talking about we were talking about him before we got recording but uh yeah tyler lawson like there was a guy right and um yep you know and uh rest in peace and uh, big ugly, but um, yeah, no him, and I mean, yeah, the guys that I mean, we'll as we're going through the the list as we talk about guys. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll you know we'll definitely be talking about the the junior A systems and and guys that came out of it. But uh, but yeah, well, let's get into uh, how did you get into like well where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? When did you, when did you become a hockey fan? So I'm pretty much, you know, smack dab in the middle of the Midwest and in the Quad Cities. We, uh, two cities in Illinois, two cities in Iowa, right on the Mississippi River. And as a kid, there was no hockey anywhere to be found around here. And one day I was watching TV. I don't know if it was, uh, I used to call it Sportsnet back in the day where they showed the Blackhawks games or ESPN or ESPN 8 or whatever the hell it was. But there was a Hartford Whalers game on. And the Whalers came down. The guy ripped it from the point, scored, brass bonanza played, and I thought, all right, I'm hooked. So for I was probably 10 or 11 years old. So for a couple of years, I caught all the games I could on TV, and then they came on the newspaper and said, you know, we're getting a pro hockey team here in, in quad. And I was pumped. I was just over the moon. So they, they brought the Mallards into the Colonial Hockey League, and I thought, you know, all right, I have had no idea about you know, the IHL, AHL at the time. They brought the Mallards in, and the first game I went to was a Quad City Mallards-Madison Monsters game. Nice. And at the time, there would be the, the, the arena where they played at the time was called the Mark of the Quad Cities, and it's set up like a horseshoe where one end is like the flat wall with the video board. And the other end was kind of open on the end. You could go down there and stand on the glass. So, you know, I was a 13, 14-year-old kid standing down on the glass, and this absolute monster of a man named Jacques Mayotte 
<laughs> laid laid out a guy in a monsters jersey. Somebody else came in. I want to say it was Morrison from the Monsters, and may I just beat the wheels off of him three or four feet in front of me. And I thought that this is it. That this is how I'm going to spend the the remaining free time I have for the rest of my life. And it's been an interesting journey since then. No, absolutely. What year would that that have been? What what mid nineties, right? It would have been uh, uh, ninety. I want to say ninety five. I want to say like that was the, like the first year for Madison. I'm just yeah, yeah. That, first year for Madison. First year for Quad City. They came in the league at the same time. Ninety five, ninety six. Okay, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and uh, so people out there, if you're hearing clicking, I'm I'm on Hockey DB just so we're uh, you know we don't miss any uh, any any names. But um, well, like you said, there you go. The very first one you throw out, um, minor league legend uh, Jacques Mayotte, and uh, you have an interesting history with Jacques. Do you not? I do. I remember. So I, again, I was 13, 14 years old. Um, they did a player appearance at a fast food place called Hardee's around here. I'm like, oh, you know, I know the first player I ever, I ever saw first. I noticed I, I want to go get a puck sign. So, you know, kid, I kid, I am, I go there, I get a puck sign and shake hands with him. And it's like shaking hands with a, a ham. He has the biggest hands I've ever seen in my life. I got to talking a little bit and okay, well, I'll jump forward, you know, jump forward here a little bit. Well, a lot. Probably 15, 20 years later, the Mallards had an alumni weekend, and they flew Jacques up from Texas. And I brought my my wife then. We went to the game, and there was a reception afterwards. So we go to the reception, and I introduce my wife to Jacques Mayotte. And she, you know, this is the first hockey player I ever met. So Jacques looks at my wife and says, uh, do you know who I am? So she said, no, I have no idea who you are. So he pulls out his phone and gives my wife his phone and says, you, you Google me. So for the next five, ten minutes, Jack May and my wife just been looking at his fight videos on YouTube. We leave that night, and she said, that's that's my favorite player. <laughs> which, which, which I'm like, all right, I, I married the right one. So for her, oh, his birthday, our anniversary or something, I said, what do you want for anniversary? Because I'm I'm terrible about picking out gifts. And she surprised me, and she said, I want a Jacques Mayotte Quebec Nordiques jersey. I'm like, oh, pretty good. So I ordered one, you know, name, number, all that stuff. She ended up getting a hold of him on YouTube, uh, not sorry, excuse me, YouTube, on, on Facebook, getting his address, and he said, send it down, I'll sign it. So we sent his Nordiques jersey down to him. He ended up signing it to my best or to my friend, all the best. The mailman came back and she hung it up on the wall. And I'm looking at the uh, autographed Mayotte jersey as we speak. Well, there we go. Yeah, look at uh, look at Jacques Jacques wheeling the ladies by showing him his fights on YouTube. Oh, it was it was fantastic. I got a picture of actually my wife and him right next to the jersey. Yeah, it was. I was laughing my ass off, and he still had those. From you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, I remember those hands that were just enormous. And I shook his hands again. And I, I don't have small hands myself. And I thought, Jesus, I don't know how this man did it, but his hands got me got bigger. And but this this guy is he, well, he's you got to admit he's probably two, three, four all time in minors. Yep, I'd say so. 
Yep. Definitely. Well, yeah, that first year, that first year we had uh, Dean Schmier on the team too. Yep. And the Schmier brothers were a little, a little wacky, but I remember the Mallards putting out, you know, the, the Bruce brothers, they were in the long, you know, cowboy dusters and the poster, which I had somewhere and it's maybe up in dad's attic somewhere, but it's gone forever. But watching those two guys on the ice, I don't know how a kid, you know, early teenage kid could not fall in love with hockey watching that. No, absolutely. No, I've seen, I have a picture of the poster. I don't have the post. I wish I had that poster. I have a picture. I've seen it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Dean Schmier and Jock Mayotte, that's, uh, that's pretty strong tag team right there. Well, what's funny is there was a goalie on the team named Kevin Butt, you know, which cracked me up as a kid. But there was a scrum in front of the net on the Mallards offensive zone, so the, you know the other end of the ice. And I don't remember even what team it was. But Kevin Butt skated down, balls to the wall, and just Superman dove right into the pile. Probably third, third, fourth game I've ever been to. And they showed that video for two, three years at the mark. <laughs> and it kills me that I can't find that video anywhere. Yeah, it's um, yeah, see that, and that's the thing, right? It's it uh, it's such a shame that so much of that stuff is gone. Um, you know, some of it's around. Uh, a lot of the Thunder. Well, no, I shouldn't say a lot. A bunch of the Thunder Bay stuff is around. Because Bruce Ramsey and Mel Engelstad were really good about collecting their fights. So, um, and of course, with the amount that those guys fought. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, so needless to say, hence there's a lot of footage. Um, so, and there was a kind of a fight guy that was in Thunder Bay and he had got the tapes a couple times. I think there's a Brant, there's a Brant, well, I have it, a, a Brantford DVD from the one year. But overall, I mean, certainly. Well, one of my past guests, Bryce Davidson, who played for Saginaw and had like 400 and some penalty minutes. I mean, you know, that you led the league that one year, and I mean, there, there's like no footage of it. I mean, right, I was asking him, and I don't know if he has any or not, but I don't think so. But yeah, it's just, it's such a shame. It, it seems every time I talk about the old minor leagues with people, it's just like there's just no footage. You gotta shed a little tear for it, but I. What's funny is I actually have his name written down. And you know, we talked before you started recording. I got home and I just started writing down a couple names I remember, and it snowballed. I got. I remember him from the the second year of the Mallards, and man, just every team in the league had at least one or two guys that were just killers. Thunder Bay, I think they had Mel was on the team then. They had Jason Disher, Kevin Holiday, and I think one of the. I think Brad Toporowski was on the team then, too. Yes, he was. Um, Link Gates and Madison. Yep. Oh, God, I remember Link fighting Howie Rosenblatt from the Mallards. And, I, you know, at the time, I was still pretty new to hockey. I had no idea who this guy was. And he was skating around for, for Madison, and they had their one of my favorite jerseys of all time. They were god-awful purple with white pinstripes. Yep. And he looked like he was, you know, 6'8", 280 pounds skating around out there. Little little did I know you end up being the legend Link Gates, but I remember him fighting Howie Rosenblatt, and just they were just teeing off on each other. 
Yep. Well, and then to top it all off, Madison had Dave the Hammer Schultz as a coach. They did. And then Jim Duhart starting shit all over the ice. Yep. Yeah. There, there's a guy who, no matter what team he was on, and he, he made his rounds around the, the U-Haul and minor league hockey in general. Oh, yeah. He was always entertaining. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, what's funny, what was it? It was, oh, might have been oh one. I don't know. It might not been before that. So he was he was playing for Flint at the time here in, in Quad City, and he had a broken jaw. Somebody caught him, a Mallard player caught him with an elbow, broke his jaw, came back, I don't know, three, four, five weeks later wearing a jaw guard. So he plays the first two periods down here, can't go out for the third period, so we stand in near the tunnel where the generals come on and off the ice. And this this doesn't paint the fans down here in Quad City in the best light, but this fan reaches over and just pops him on the top of the head like he's playing whack-a-mole. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if, if there's anybody who would inspire that, it's got to be Duhart, but come on, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I've, and it's funny because I won't say any names, but a few of the guys I've had on the show and uh, that I've talked to uh, would probably take that fan out for a beer. I can tell you, <laughs> yeah, that there hasn't been too many nice things said about Duhart, but uh, yeah, but he was like you, you can He was a legend, though. He was, and he was. He played everywhere. Hell, he was even in Danbury for a little bit. Yep. No, absolutely. But I mean, I mean, even going back, well, you know, second ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, there was all kinds of names. No, what absolutely. Here? Well, I'm just as I'm looking at the standings here. Um, well, like the, so, you, like we said, ninety five, ninety six is their first year. Then ninety six, ninety seven, Christ, they win the championship. Yep they they won it in Flint in overtime. Oh, okay. So going back one year, the Mallards make the playoffs their first year. They're losing to Flint, and I want it was either best of three or best of five series. Anyway, they're losing in the elimination game, third period. Jacques Mayotte skates out onto the ice, and I it was an ice it was an icing or offsides or something. But Mayotte skates on the ice, drops his right glove, and then proceeds to drop three generals in turn with three punches. You know, middle of the playoffs, Mallards are out of it. He just, he, he not necessarily knocks them out cold, but drops three generals in a row, and goddamn, that building just went nuts. You know, 8,000 people, roof blew off. They don't they don't care that their team's out of the playoffs as long as they could see somebody get dropped. Yep. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, that second year, not, it's not a bad year for a hockey fan that's new to it. I think in the long run, the Mallards were kind of a victim of their own success because the, the second year they won, third year they came back and won. So, you know, everybody kind of expected that winning team every year, and it's it's a hell of a lot harder to do than it is to say. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, like, I mean, talk about getting, like, you know, getting spoiled right out of the gate, pretty much, right? It's like these. Uh, it's like the Las Vegas Golden Knights fans, right? You know, yep. it, like what is a Stanley Cup final in their first year, and then the conference final this year, and whatever else. I mean, last year, I mean, they've been in the playoffs every year, right? And it's just like they're, you know, oh, this is easy, 
Yeah, it's like it'll be interesting to see like the first year that they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, yep. see, see what happens, you know. But uh, but yeah, like like for an expansion minor league team, just to you know all of a sudden win the championship in the second year. That's pretty, and like, well, and like we were saying, Madison, the other new team, uh, you know, finished second in that division that year. Yep. I mean, they lost they the actually, first round, but I mean, you know, but nonetheless, yep. I mean. They actually lost in the first round to Quad City. Yep. Um, and I don't know why I remember it. My my brain is not what it used to be. But the Mallards were down two games to none and then three games to one. And they came back and won the series, and then it was like a steamroller. They just. You couldn't stop them. And as as a kid, I loved it. Yeah. Well, but that was the year former former podcast guest Bryce Davidson was in Saginaw. Yep. And I remember seeing this little guy just running around all over the place. And I, for the life of me, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Mark McFarlane or John Batten. But they were chasing him all over the ice every time he came down here, and it it made me chuckle. Yeah, I mean that was a thing. If you know, played the one season in the Colonial League and led the league in penalty minutes, and uh, yeah, and like you said, uh, you know, with four hundred and forty, you know, and then uh, yeah, yeah, that's putting in work. And I think the it was what Eaton. I do not remember. Uh, was it J.D. Eaton, I think, was yep. was on Saginaw at that time, too? Yeah, he had 300 minutes that year, yep. Man, you don't have teams that get 750 penalty minutes anymore. No. 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 Well, I just look at the pen- penalty minute leaders. So Mel was second with 422, and then Kevin Holiday, who was also at Thunder Bay, was third with 403. Could you Jesus. imagine? Like, like 840 penalty minutes between two guys on one team? You know, and then Jason well, Disher's funny, with 240, you know, like. And, and Disher was a scary man, too. That He was he was one of my favorites coming down through, you know, Colonial and U-Haul leagues. And you knew when he was out there, something fun was going to happen. Oh, yeah. But what, I was you know, going through some stats just, just for the hell of it before we got on. And later on, I, I'm not trying to jump ahead too much, but later on, I remember the Mallards had uh, Kerry Toporowski, of course. He had north of 400, and Gary Goulash had north of 300. And yet, you know, 750, 800 between two guys is insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, well, like you said, so 96, 97, they win the championship. And then... Uh, then the Colonial League becomes the United League, correct? Correct. Yeah, that was the last year of the Colonial League. Did and you, then I was going to say, like when uh, when it becomes the United League, um, did you did you notice any changes at all with the league? I I didn't. It was pretty much you know slap a new sticker on the pig and call her what she is. Yep. But that uh, so be the third the third year of the Mallards what ninety seven ninety eight. I was at a game and Muskegon was in town, and Muskegon at the time they had uh, Robin Bouchard, who anybody who knows minor league hockey knows Robin Bouchard. Yep. And uh, they had Gary Cooper, scary Gary Cooper on the team. Yep. And he, and he he got into something. I don't remember what happened on the ice. But as he's skating off the ice, he breaks his stick over his knee and just whips it into the stands. 
and they're you know big you know people scrambling trying to get in the stands. A couple days later, come on the paper, they end up banning Gary Cooper for life from the league for pitching a stick in the stands. Yeah, I think he. Uh, what, what what I think he got banned from the OHL too, I believe. And then and got, I want to say he got banned from either the Whipple or the West Coast League too. I think so. Yep. Yeah, it, it was funny if uh, anybody listening here doesn't know uh, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, go check it out. I do have some UHL and some Colonial League fights, but one of the fights on there is Gary Koopel fighting Mel Engelstad, and uh, they fight twice. Oh. And in the second fight, halfway through the he- the fight, Engels Mel just starts headbutting the shit out of Gary Koopel, <laughs> and. Uh, Whatever, and then it's broken up. And I had a chance to ask Mel after I saw it. I was talking to him, and I said, well, "Like, wh- like, because I'm like, wh- what were you doing? Like, what all of a sudden?" And he goes, "He goes, I just got so tired of that guy. He goes, you'd beat him up, and he'd come back for more. He just would not take it. Like, he would just keep coming. So he goes, I figured if I had butted the shit out of him, he'd never ask me to fight again. So." <laughs> If anybody's wondered if they've seen a fight with Mel Engelstad, all of a sudden in the middle of it, just start headbutting Gary Koopel. That is why. Yeah, he got tired of fighting him. Yeah. So that that I got to try to find that. Well, I'll go on uh, go on YouTube, Fourth Line Voice, and in the little search bar, yeah, search uh, Gary Koopel. Yeah, yeah, it's on there. That uh, that year, I, I happened to write it down. That was actually Kerry Toporowski's first year with the Mallards. But that year, Mallards had over they had nine guys with over a hundred pims. They Mallards ended up leading the league in penalty minutes. I want to say three, four years in a row. But that year, they had damn near four hundred penalty minutes more than the second place team. Yeah. So we we like our tough hockey here in Quad City. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just Wayne Muir, Carl LeBlanc, Mark McFarland. Well, and I and I believe you have a, a Corey Nielsen. Yep, we had the, the, the very next year. Um, but what have been, uh, no, that was that that season. As a matter of fact, yep. ninety seven, ninety eight. Yep. Um, I'm sure Searson will appreciate that. Yep. But a kid coming out of, I think the Maritimes, New Brunswick, maybe. Yep. Um, but yeah, big kid, six six four, six five, beast of a guy. And he was out there, you know, he had, you know, Toporowski on the team. Um, who else? We had a kid, uh, Bogdan Rudenko, Russian kid, go out there, tough as nails, who later on was accused of murder, but got acquitted for it. No, well, there you but go. It was, and Nielsen, you know, playing the second, second, uh, third pairing defenseman would go out there and just lay the body on everybody. I had, at one time, I had his. Mallard's jersey, and there was probably 100, 100, 150 unrepaired little pinholes in it. He was a lot more physical for the Mallards than later on in his career. He became more of a scorer, ECHL All-Star, ended up coaching Nottingham. Yeah, he was a hell of a hell of a big kid, had a mean streak a mile wide. Well, it, uh, no, absolutely, and yeah, I was just, yeah really high, actually, real high uh, draft pick too, fifty third overall by the Oilers. Jesus, I, I didn't realize that. I, I want to say he played. Hell, I don't remember he played his junior hockey. 
uh, you know, it was the OHL. OHL. Yep, Ontario League. I don't remember what team. It's that's going a little a little too far back for me. We're we're in that same age bracket where you know it starts to twenty years ago starts to fade. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I was, you know, thank God for hockey DB. I wouldn't remember any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's no kidding. Yeah. And I want to say, I want to say Andy Bezo played for Muskegon that year too, and that was the first time I saw him, and he was just all over the fucking ice, Lay, laying dudes out. I want to say he fought Mark McFarland that year, which, if your listeners don't know, he's kind of a more obscure name, smaller guy, but he would get you know thirty, forty, fifty points a year, two hundred, two hundred and fifty pim, just just a beast. Yeah, I mean, how uh, how long did McFarland play? He was there forever. Yeah, for eight, I want to say One, two, seven or six or seven years. Yeah, um, he left one year to play for the one year Topeka Tarantulas in the Central League. Ended up coming back, had his number retired. Yeah. And I'll maybe yeah, I'll get to it here. And all right, so I'll, I'll jump ahead just just a hair. Nah. Well, okay, we'll we'll wait till the Asheville smoke come in the league. I got a good story about him. Okay, well, well, one of the questions I do have to ask, of course, we've 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 referenced him here a couple times. It was his first year there. Uh, was of course the speaking of minor league legends. I mean, um, you know, the tales of Kerry Toporowski are, are of course uh, you know long and tall. Uh, and uh, what was your first impressions of seeing uh, Topper? Oh, it was. He came in. He wore number seven when his when he first came in here. Ended up changing to seventy seven. But so this, you know, the internet wasn't really around back then, and you know, it was around, but it wasn't prevalent. So I had no idea who he was coming in. And the GM at the time in the paper said, "You know, we signed this Kerry Toporowski. You need to come see him play." In the paper, so I'm like, "All right, you know." And he went out there his first or second game, and he was just demolishing guys. And there was nobody who wanted to really do anything about it. He pretty much had his run of the ice. And it was it was amazing because before, you know, you hit somebody in the Colonial, the first few years United League, you hit somebody open ice, you got to answer for it. Yep. But Topper could pretty much do whatever the hell he wanted there for a while. Yeah, he, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a character, man. I mean, uh, you know, of course, we got the legend out here in the Western League. You know, of course, he's, uh, you know, set the Western Hockey League record, you know, with 500 minutes of penalties. And, you know, they won the Memorial Cup that year. And, and of course, um, you know, and that was the thing, being out in Spokane, we never got to really see him. And, uh, but then all of a sudden, the Memorial Cup was on TSN and uh, against the, the team, Shakutami from the Quebec League. They end up in a line brawl, the Spokane Chiefs and Shakutami. And Toporowski ends up just beating the tar out of this guy. And he's elbow smashing this guy. He thumbs the guy in the <laughs> eye when they're on the ice. And, like, the whole nine yards, right? And we're just like, who is this guy, right? Like, you know, and then, of course, you see the minor league footage of him starting all these brawls and the playing for the, you know, the Las Vegas Thunder and stuff. And, yeah, what a, what a character. Just snatching chains off guys, throwing them in the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I... Yeah, he had what? Five, it, was, it was better than five hundred minutes that he set in the in the dub, right? Five oh five or something like that. 
five and on that's five, not yeah. including not including the, the ten minutes or game misconducts. Well, that was the thing. That's the one thing that people I don't know. Some people don't know. Like he played two years in Spokane, so the first year he had three hundred and eighty-four minutes, and then the second year he got five hundred and five in the regular season, plus another hundred and eight in the playoffs. You know, um, Jesus, in fifteen games, fifteen games, one hundred and eight minutes. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. Well, and the thing is, the Western League, yeah, they didn't count ten-minute misconducts in their in their penalty minute totals because they. Um, at the time, from what I've heard, the commissioner and stuff didn't want that because he because he goes it would make the league look goony. <laughs> so some I can't remember somebody did it one time. They looked up the box scores and everything, and I think with tens, I think Topper had like seven hundred and twenty minutes or something. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, like somehow yeah, five hundred and five is less goony. You know, <laughs> like we're kind of splitting hairs at that point, aren't we? You know, like. And uh, I know both his boys played in Spokane too. He, the one boy, he, he's actually coaching here in Quad City now, assistant coach for the Southern League team. And his other, his other boy is still in Spokane. Yeah, I think he was I a guess, high draft you know, pick, wasn't he? Either he was a high draft pick, or he's pretty high on the draft list for the coming year. Yeah. But that that Toporowski name, there was there was what there was him, there was uh, Brad, and there was Shane. Which Shane ended up playing here the last year of his career too, but that that's a name that if anybody likes minor league hockey, they're going to recognize right away. Yeah, no, I mean quite the talent, he, quite the talented family. I mean, and uh, and Shane, there was a guy like again, Western League played. Uh, it was a power forward in the Western League. I mean, he, he played for Prince Albert and he had like two hundred minutes and he had like I think he forty goals. I want to say thirty for sure. But yeah, like he definitely, you know, he got the talent of the group. You know, but he would fight too. You know, yeah, but he played. A, he played a long time in Europe. Yes, yes, and then came back to the states last year here in, in Quad City. But you know, last year here, he's got nothing to prove. But a couple, he had a couple good scraps when he was here. Yeah, and I mean, he was never the fighter that Kerry was. I mean, he was a tough guy. He wouldn't back down. I mean, he fought guys and everything. But yeah, I mean, Kerry was the heavyweight of the family. And then I think Brad, I, I, I don't think Brad was much of a fighter. I mean, I, he would, but I think he was more just kind of the, you know, kind of the stay-at-home physical defense type. But I don't think he was much of I don't think he was a big fighter like Kerry and Shane were. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about him. I know he was with uh, he was with Thunder Bay one year. Yep, and I I remember the name on the jersey, and honestly, that's about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and it's uh, you know it's come to that time of the show, Jay. Um, it's funny you mentioned jerseys. Have I told you about the deal that I have I could get for you? You have not mentioned uh, CoolHockey.com to me yet. Yes, well, there you go, listeners. Uh, as J- as Jay just said, uh, CoolHockey.com. Been around since 1999. They're NHLPA endorsed. And do I have a deal for you folks listening? If you order now, you get 30% off and free shipping. It's, they're out of Toronto. And if you use the promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, you get 30% off and free shipping. And... Uh, and then the the network here gets a little bit of a kickback. Isha and Dylan and them, um, yeah, it helps uh, keep these outlaw mud shows on the air. And because uh, you know, uh, right now they're they're doing it all on their own dime. And CJ, this is easy for me. I just hit record and then 
hit stop and send it to them and they do the rest. So this is, uh, you know, so I think, you know, if anything, they, they deserve a little bit, a little bit of a kickback. So if they get a kickback, you're helping the network out and you get a Jersey at a good deal. And, uh, like I know Joe there, Lazito, he's big with the Islanders, big Islander fan. And, uh, he was telling me the other day that, uh, he was, uh, he's about ready to order, uh, an Alexi Zitnik Islander Jersey. He's going to get 30% off and, uh, he's pretty excited about it. So uh, I'm glad I could help Joe out with that. And here, I thought that Joe was really interested in the, uh, the Tom Wilson 43 Islanders jersey. Well, that might, I think that's the alternate jersey he's looking for. Or maybe the stadium series. Yeah. He wants to make that one's really special. Like, that's, he's just not going to put that on any old Islander jersey. I think that's going to be like a, a third or a stadium special or whatever special the NHL is doing these days. I don't know. I don't really follow it, but I know he wanted, he has <laughs> talked about being, he wants that on a very special, maybe an anniversary type jersey. Maybe if they bring back the, uh, yeah, I know he's a big fan of the, the fisherman, the fish sticks jersey, the fish stick, fish stick jerseys. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, you know what I love doing with the fish sticks jersey. I not only is that horrendous, but when you see Wendell Clark in that jersey, I love putting that up on Twitter just to give all the Leaf fans <laughs> on my timeline just the shakes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, so I, I, I collect a lot of jerseys. got a, a, a two closets full. Unpopular opinion, I love those jerseys. Eey, that's... I, I, I like my ugly jerseys. What can I say? Well, I'm down with the ugly jerseys. I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I just can't get behind that one. <laughs> I mean, I got a jersey that's a, a friggin' cow print jersey from Texas. So I, I like the ugly jerseys. Well, and it's funny, speaking of jerseys, um, and just the minor leagues in general, I think that is also, and it, it's funny, I guess I'm kind of a hypocrite, but I mean, I'm kind of weird like this too. When the NHL gets gimmicky, I just get on Twitter and just motherfuck them. I just hate it. <laughs> I just, it looks so bush, I can't stand it. But, when the minor league team gets gimmicky, I am in Bolt with both feet. I love it. The more gimmicky, the better. I love minor league gimmicks. Oh yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. So I don't remember what year it was. I could probably I could look it up. Uh, well, I'll, I'll look it up as I'm talking here. Um, so the El Paso. I, I oh, okay. So I'm bad. It was uh, the team in El Paso. The Buzzards. The Buzzards, yep. The El Paso Buzzards. It was either 2000, 2001, or 0102. For a weekend, they changed their name to the El Paso Cow Patties. Tremendous. And I thought, I, I have to be involved in this. I, I, I need something that says El Paso Cow Patties. And I didn't realize it was just pretty much a jersey auction gimmick. So I called down to El Paso and I said, you know, can I buy one of these replica jerseys? And the young lady helping me said, you know, we don't have any replica jerseys. It's just for a weekend. We have T-shirts and we're going to auction these jerseys off. So I said, I don't care who I get. Here's my credit card number. I want a jersey. So about two weeks later, I get a package from El Paso coming in the mail 
and I open it up, and this jersey is glorious. It's white with cow print. There is a cartoon cow on skates with a big steaming cow flop right behind him. It is phenomenal. Tell me you still have this jersey. I still have this jersey. Okay, well, you got to send me a picture as soon as we're done here of this jersey because I'm gonna I'm gonna use that for tonight's podcast. That's gonna be the that's gonna be the picture for when I advertise on the show. Yes, that is tremendous. I, I don't, was, but I don't even want to ask. I, you you I you gave a minor league hockey team your credit card number. That's some scary shit. I did. It was especially back in like 2000. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't finance a couple bus trips for them then. Yep. No, but. Back then, I was uh, not the intellectual monster I am nowadays no. who still gives his credit card number to minor league hockey jerseys across the country. The financial guru. Well, at least now, it's uh, you know you kind of have some rec- uh, recourse, right? I mean, you know, the bank will help you a little bit, or, you know, you got all this tracking and stuff now. But, yeah, back in 2000, you're, you're playing a dangerous game there, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, a player named Justin Van Perry's. And I had no idea who the hell this kid was. And it, uh, I just had it up. Shit, I just had it up. He had uh, put up a, a few pims, which I had I had no idea who this, this cat was from Adam. So it would have been 113 pims. Well, not too bad. But it's it's a phenomenal shirt. But what's funny is the uh, the local team here, the Quad City Storm in the Southern League, you know, low miners got to take money where they can get it. Absolutely. So the the fast food chain Chick-fil-A got a deal with the Quad City Storm, and their warm-up jerseys are the, exactly the same. They're, they're a cow print jersey with a Chick-fil-A logo on the front, and I love them. Oh, yeah, those Chick-fil-A ads are funny. Yeah, with the, with the cows and stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. They're like, yeah, we're not chickens or whatever. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got to uh, I got to buy a drink for the guy who thought an illiterate cow begging for his life was a good a good ad campaign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh. Well, yeah, like I said, my my experience in minor league hockey is very minimal. Um, and I I think I told this story on this show before when I was in Las Vegas and I was at a Wrangler game um, a few years ago. Uh, the hotel we I go to Vegas every February, and uh, although not this February. Uh, anyway, yeah, um, every February we stay at the Orleans, and the Orleans is where the Wranglers used to play out of. They have a rink attached to the casino, a hotel, and uh, the old man and I actually went, it was an after, it was like a Sunday afternoon, and I think we were getting getting our asses kicked on the table, so it was like, oh, we got to... You know, we had to put a pause on the losing streak for a bit here. We should go to this hockey game. And we ended up getting, like, free tickets. And uh, we went. And uh, it was my first experience wearing shorts and a rink. That was interesting. Shorts and (laughs) flip-flops being in Saskatchewan. I'm not used to that, doing that in a rink. It was, like, theater seats. And, uh, like, the girls were walking around selling, like, $2.00 like the aluminum Budweiser's and like halter tops and stuff. And it was just like, okay. And, um, and it was like, and then they announced halfway through the game that, uh, they'd like to thank today's or tonight or yeah, today's game day sponsor, the adult deja vu emporium for all your adult toy and video needs go across the street here. Cause it, there was this massive place. It looked like the, it was like the Walmart of adult stores, the deja vu adult emporium. 
and there they were, the big the patch on the jersey, and and they're promoting their stuff all over the rink, and I'm just laughing, and it was great. But I was just like, I said to my dad, could you imagine in Saskatoon if the Saskatoon Blades said tonight's game was brought to you by the Adult Emporium? People would be losing their minds. Oh, there'd be oh, there'd be outrage in the streets. Yeah, but in Vegas, no one even batted an eyelash. I don't even think they noticed. Just like I oh, am, yeah. you know. And I'm like, I think only in Vegas would that one play. I think, but um, I was just sitting there like, oh, this is just tremendous. I could get. Well, I actually game. had a, a I had a buddy that played in Vegas for a few years. He's from Vegas, and he said at least once a year they have a game that started at midnight. Yes. Yeah, and there was you know no no minors allowed. You had to be eighteen to come in the game, and they had what what I would generously call exotic dancers. Yes, you know around the concourse dancing, and you know that's that's as perfectly minor league as you can get. Yeah, no, and I lo- I love that stuff. Yeah, I wanted to. We either just missed that game or it was coming up because somebody at the bar that night. Later on, was telling I because I related the story to the bartender and the guy sitting at the video poker tabletop bar in Vegas um, about the adult emporium thing and how funny it was. And they told me about that game. Yeah, it was an adults only, and there was a rave after the game. I guess they quickly put wood down on the on the ice and get a DJ and at like two. Of course, the game's over at like whatever two in the morning. You know, by two thirty, you know, then they're out there raving it up and glow sticks and booze and everything's flying and girls dancing in cages and oh yeah they were like and they're like oh yeah and it sells out it's a huge deal and yeah i'm like oh tremendous and and that's that's minor league hockey in a nutshell yeah well okay so jim duhart everybody hated him one year i think he was still with flint the mallard's general manager said first two thousand fans get a jim duhart voodoo doll ah. and no shit they gave away a voodoo doll with you know he wore number 19 number 19 on the back and there, there's no way that kind of stuff would fly nowadays no but back then that was minor league hockey to its best absolutely all right we're back recording here um yeah we were just got going you're gonna tell me a story i cut you off though because i wanted to get this on the on air we're, we were mentioning Cody Doucette and our mutual uh, affection for Cody Doucette. And you were telling me about his fight with uh, that he got into. Yep. So so Doucette was here in quad. And he This kid was a monster. Yep. He wasn't huge. Um, you know, he had come like a light heavyweight. And so the Missouri River Otters were in town. You know, I, I, I apologize. I'm jumping forward a, a few seasons here. But the River Otters were in town, and there was a kid, or he wasn't a kid, you know, a guy named Dave Stewart, who you know played out out west for Jackson. I want to say he put up two, three, four hundred penalty minutes a year. Would fight everybody, undersized guy. He'd fight everybody. Uh, usually wouldn't do the best, but I mean, the guy would show up no matter what. So Missouri was here in Quad City. Dave Stewart actually played here in Quad City the year before. Next year, he was in Missouri, and he had a go with Cody Doucette. And Doucette, I hesitate to say he beat the wheels off Dave Stewart, but he beat the wheels off Dave Stewart. Yeah. And 
the next shift after they come out of the box, the River Otters had Brad McMillan on the team. Yeah. Who it, it's not a name that a lot of folks know, but this this guy was a monster. Little smaller guy, but he would throw hammers. So Doucette comes out of the box, first first shift out of the box, lines up next to McMillan, and they they go right off the drop. They're going and they're just throwing toe to toe and McMillan reaches back. He might have reached back from fucking Saskatchewan. And he landed a monster shot on Doucette, and Doucette went down, and he was out. He was out cold on the ice. McMillan, you know, skates off nonchalant. McMillan, or excuse me, Doucette, he had to be down for five minutes. You see him come to on the ice, kind of jerks awake, pops back up, skates off like nothing happened. Yep. Yeah, no, Brad McMillian, well, McMillian, McMillan, yeah, well, there we go, we were talking earlier, there's an SJHL guy, right, played in Melfort, and, uh, yep. yeah, from Alberta, but, uh, yeah, he was, he's, uh, he was a, he was a gamer, man, uh, played in Fort Wayne for a couple of years, um, yes, he did, I know old, uh, Scott, I know you're out there listening, big, uh, Fort Wayne guy from the, uh, I would say the fourth line, uh, voice in the, uh, Fort Wayne division, and uh, our Fort Wayne branch, and uh, he was he uh, talks fondly of Brad McMillan. Um, yeah, but Cody Doucette, man, yeah, he uh, he came to the Quebec League too, and uh, he didn't back down there either. Yeah, he's he's a tough kid. I want to say I know the Mallards traded him. They sent him down to Richmond, and I think former Fort Wayne voice guest Chris Waltz was actually the coach in Richmond when he brought Doucette in. Yep. He was. And I was I was bummed I was bummed when they traded Doucette. I'm like, this kid gives his heart, you know, gives hundred hundred and ten when he's on the ice. And he could he could play a little bit here and there too in the U Haul League. Yep. But yeah, he was he he was just a beast. No, absolutely. And uh yeah it uh yeah, man. Oh, this is, yeah. Well, in 99, um, I was kind of just kind of going through as we were talking. Like I said, I'm kind of going year by year on you. And, and uh, it's interesting how um, how the league is growing at this point. I mean, you know, with, uh, you know, the Fort Wayne in the United League and Saginaw and uh, the BC Iceman, Mohawk Valley, Asheville, Adirondack, and Knoxville. I mean, the league's really growing at this point. They are, and it's kind of nice, but at the same time, we didn't see a whole lot of those, the, the Eastern teams. Yeah. So I would hear about, you know, all these tough guys out East. We see them once a year, and usually when they came out here, you know, it's it's got to be 18, 20-hour bus trip. Not a whole lot happened, but, I mean, holy hell, in, in 98, 99, I, I happened, like I said, I had to look up the stats. The Mallards led the league with better than 2,500 men of that year and the second place team didn't even have 2000 yes so we, we we had some we had some guys up up here that were that was the first year we brought in uh i'm sorry the mallards brought in gary goulash yep who as a name i would hope that a couple guys recognize he had he was damn near at 350 penalty minutes and over 40 points a year yep no, absolutely no. Just looking at the list, yeah. Like, well, McFarland's there, obviously. Um, another minor league legend guy, Kevin Kerr, was there. Yep. Um, LeBlanc, Carl What's LeBlanc. What's funny? 
what's funny is is Kevin Kerr and Mark McFarland, they would always battle when Kevin Kerr was with Flint. And I remember the Mallards traded for Kevin Kerr or brought him in as a free agent. I, I apologize, I don't remember which. But I remember the article in the paper saying, you know, Kevin Kerr's coming here. And at the time, everybody everybody here just fucking hated Kevin Kerr because, you know, he put up 30, 40, 50 goals a year and Unbelievable 250 player. penalty minutes a year. Yeah. And Mark McFarlane said in the paper, I'm going to, when he walks into the locker room, I'm going to punch him in the face once and then we're going to be buddies. Yep. Yeah, there was uh, that year, I want to say, Rob Frid was here that year. Yep. Um, Bruce Richardson was here that year. Uh, Stefan Madore. There was a guy. Stephon yeah, Madore. Oh, Stefan Madore. There's a guy who, who doesn't get a whole lot of, of name recognition, but he was just, he was a mean, mean man. Every time somebody went into the corner, you know, dump the puck into his corner was a bad idea because there'd be, you know, an elbow up in your face or a stick up in your face. And he wasn't afraid to turn around and drop the gloves either. Yeah, he was a Quebec League guy. I don't know. I mean, I've seen him. I've seen some of his stuff, some of his fights, but not a lot. So, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm definitely not a Stefan Medor expert. But someone else was talking about him. Uh, yep, and I don't remember it was I don't remember if it was oh hell I've listened to you know a couple of your episodes one or two of Alex episodes recently and somebody mentioned his name and yeah just boom it brought back all those memories it might have been Jack Gregg now that I think about it it was it, it was yep it was it was Alex interview with Jack, with Jack Gregg yeah but I mean we had uh, uh, Howie Rosenblatt was here that year Tailing off the end of his career, I think he might have played 25, 30 games. But that year, I want to say, I think Holiday was still in Thunder Bay that year. Jason Payne was in Thunder Bay that year. There, there was, there was never a night off for any of those guys. No, and it was like, well, that in, in BC, I mean, you had Pete Vandermeer. Who led the league, 390 minutes, and then uh, Serge Roberge. They're talking about minor league legends in Mohawk Valley. Serge was there that year. Um, you know, you had Chris Schultz in Asheville. Uh, yeah, Hol- yeah, you said Holiday was still around, and uh, Chris Schultz. Yeah, Chris Schultz, Mike Henderson. Yeah, I mean, yep, Mike uh, Henderson. He was uh, he was in Thunder Bay, wasn't he? He was. Yep. And it, it bummed me out because we saw Mohawk Valley, you know, once a year. Because it was one of the farthest teams to the east, and uh, by that time I had you know kind of gotten online, read about all these tough guys, and like, oh, Sergio Bear just coming to town, and he actually got scratched the game they were in Quad City, or one of the games they were in Quad City, and I was just I was heartbroken. It's interesting. Um, one of the guys, uh, I, he wasn't a tough guy at all, but I just, I just looked because, I mean, he had in the Western Hockey League, he put up so many. I want to say he's actually the Western Hockey League's all-time point leader, I think, is Brian Sackick, Joe Sackick's brother. Oh, he played, he was he was in Flint for a few years. and Yes. Yeah, I remember him. I want to say he wore number nine. Unbelievable numbers, yeah. Oh, he was, he was too talented for... This for this league for that league at the time, yeah, he was unbelievable. Yeah, like I just uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just looking at that time. Yeah, because he had like 108 points, 120 points, 
125, 113. Like, yeah, he's definitely more of a, uh, like a setup guy, but, uh, yeah, he had, uh, unbelievable talent. And, uh, I was always surprised, of course, with the pedigree, Sackick, right? I was, uh, and like I said, he was a Western Hockey League. I, I want to say he's the all time leading scorer in junior. And it was just interesting how he, uh, you know, just never played above the United League. It was, uh, yeah, it's interesting. What's funny, okay, so that year, the Mallards the Mallards are coming off back-to-back championships. Yep. That year, they go to the finals again, and they're playing Muskegon. And Muskegon has a guy named Corey Banica on the team. Yeah. But was he, he had a, a, a screw loose or two, entertaining as hell to watch on the ice. Well, it was game one or two, there was a big scrum going on, and how the the rumors go, he bit Mark McFarlane on the finger. Yes. And nothing happened. You know, nothing came of it. Well, so the series goes on. It is, I want to say it was uh, a 2-3-2 series. Maybe it was 2-2. Anyway, so it, it, was, it was three games to two. Muskegon had a chance to win the cup in Quad City game six. So a couple of radio DJs around here supporting the team they gave away 1,000 or 2,000 little rubber fingers with a slice down them. Looked like they were little, little cut rubber fingers. And the deal was, after the national anthem, you throw these fingers on the ice to, quote-unquote, protest that Corey Banica wasn't suspended for biting Mark McFarlane. Well, the league got wind of this, and they said, okay, fine, you do this, but if one of those fingers ends up on the ice... During play, you're getting a delay game penalty. So, of course, a couple of the fingers find their way into Muskegon's bench. A finger happens to wind up on the ice in the third period. Muskegon scores a goal on the power play, ends up coming back. I think they were down, I want to say the Mallards were up 3-1 to one or 4-1 to one in the third. Muskegon come, ends up coming back and winning the cup in Quad City with three or four third-period goals sparked by a little rubber finger thrown on the ice at the inopportune time. Oh! Because there was people who actually left the game in the third period to drive to Muskegon to make sure they had they could get there and buy tickets for Game 7. So there's Quad City fans at the L.C. Walker Arena when all of a sudden the Muskegon Fury bus shows up and they they walk out of the bus with the Colonial Cup, that is that is excellent. Yeah, that's that's minor league hockey in a snapshot. And granted, the the Mallards lost the cup that year, but I I, I love stories like that. No, absolutely. How much heat would those radio DJ guys have with the team? Oh, they they were uh, they were not popular with the team for a while. No, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I remember still that have ban- that finger somewhere. Yeah, I remember that Banica incident. I actually have that on videotape. Yeah. Yep. The league said there was no there was no proof about it. Didn't suspend him, and the rest is history. Amazing. It's funny as we're kind of going through here, and I was just kind of looking at the stats. I mean, like you said, they have the wins and losses and the penalty minute totals, but they have the attendance. And that attendance in Quad City is just astronomical compared to the other teams. Oh, it was ridiculous. We have we have a really nice building down here, and they would pack it. We get eight nine thousand fans every night for two three years, four years. Yeah, 
But then, you know, people got spoiled by seeing the team going to the finals and winning the cup. And when they stopped getting to that point, there, there's, I don't want to throw some fans under the bus in the area, but if the team wasn't winning the cup or contending for the cup, they kind of stopped coming to the games. No, those people definitely, those people deserve to get thrown under the bus. Yeah. Fuck those yeah, people. I, yeah. Your word's not mine, but I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, is the next year. So I think it was 99, 2000. So Kerry Toporowski left the team and I don't remember where he went. So in 99, 2000, there was a big news story. Oh, we were signed Topper. Topper's coming back. And, you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I got to go to this game. So the game that Topper was coming back, it was a snowstorm to, to beat the band. I looked outside at the time. I'm like, eh, I'm 17 years old. Uh, maybe I'm not going to drive my rear-wheel drive car to the game. Fuck it, I'm going. My car ends up stuck in a ditch. I call a taxi, get to the game. There was maybe 2,000 fans there, and, and Topper skates out, and I I apologize because I don't remember who we played. I want to say it was Missouri and Curtis Saylor. 90% sure of that. But first shift of the game, Topper goes with maybe Curtis Saylor and just beats the wheels off of him. And I leave that arena that night. All smiles, thinking it was worth parking my parking my car in a ditch just to see that fight. Yeah, all the the, th- the things we do. Yeah, that was there was there were some tough guys on the team that year too. Well, it's interesting as you bring up Missouri uh, because, of course, I had Nick on the show on my old on my old platform. Um, but he's a Missouri guy, and we talked about Curtis Saylor and stuff. But that was the year they also had Darren Kimball on the team. It was, and I want to say Kimball put up. Point again. Hell, Kimball, yeah, he might have put up, yeah, 20, 20, 25, 30 goals that year. Yep. And, you know, he had nothing to prove at that point in his career. And Missouri brought in a couple guys. like They brought in Dennis Vial, too, a little bit later on. And it was it was awesome for a kid like me who, as we as we said before, I was not an NHL guy, but I had started to get into the, you know really pretty heavy into the fight culture at that time and looking at these videos, I'm like holy shit, this this is Darren Kimball, yeah, like he is he is one of the top names out there, and Missouri signed him, and it was just it was cool as shit for me to see him play. No, absolutely. Oh, well, and like in the United League, I mean, yeah, with those names, and yeah, I just kind of bounced it like the 2000, 2001. Of course, Quad City wins it again. Um, but uh, just looking at the penalty minute leaders, well, one of the characters in Elmira was Sean Legault. Oh, and I, yeah, he had, I want to say he had over 400 that year, didn't he? Him and Topper tied with 413, yep. And what was crazy is that year might have been the best hockey team I have ever seen. Um, the Mallards were right up there again for – that was the first year in three or four years they didn't lead the league in penalty minutes there. I think they were second to Asheville, which Asheville had a murderer's row. But I I want to say – I know, I know they were over 2,000 that year, 
Um, and they had that was yeah, Topper had four thirteen. Got know Goulash had over three hundred that year. Yep. Um, we had McFarland again. The, yeah. yeah, they had a, a French a French kid on the team named Oh Drapeau. Yeah, it's like Etienne, Etienne, Etienne Drapeau, yeah. who was he was he was a cannonball out there. Yeah, that was they had another French guy who ended up being one of my favorites named uh, Freddie Joban, yeah. defenseman. You know, real real steady defenseman, but he would. He would throw hammers when he had to fight. He would lay the body. What a little funny story they had a so that was the year Mohawk Valley folded during the year. So they had a dispersal draft in the middle of the season. The Mallards picked up a guy named Harold Hirsch. He was a little, little scrappy, but he was a decent scorer. He would go on to be on the second or third season of the Bachelorette. Nah. <laughs> And what's funny, it was I, I I've never watched the show, but there was stories all about uh you know, all about it. Ended up watching a YouTube clip. I think it was a separate second episode of The Bachelorette. Harold Hirsch is on there talking about how he'd like to see this gal basically barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen while he's out doing his job and then he didn't make it past the second episode <laughs> of the uh The Bachelorette. That's the end of Harold. Yeah. But yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of tough guys. Asheville just they were monsters. I know Blue Benefeld was in the league that year. Um, Tom Wilson. They had Hewitt that year. I think they had Watson that year, and the they had a, a guy who was a monster six five six 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 seven. Um. Oh yeah, yeah well yeah, Lee, Lee Sphinx do. Sphinx do yeah 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 John and Hewitt. I rem- yeah, I remember watching Sangstu skate out, and I thought this is before you know you could get instant, you know, instant transactions on your phone. And this huge dude was skating out; he had no nameplate on his jersey. So I went over to the uh, radio guy at the time, like, "Who, who the hell is this?" He's like, "It's some guy named Lee Sangstu." Because yeah, he was he was just a beast. Uh, another SJHL guy, yeah. And I want to say that was the first year that uh, one Mr. Dean Mayrand was in the league. Mm, yep. He was Muskegon. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, well, John Hewitt. And then, uh, oh, actually, I was looking at Asheville. That was the year uh, a friend of mine, Tyler Prasoski, played there as well. Yeah. Yeah, they had, they had hands down the toughest team in the league that, that year. Even... It, I will say that maybe I shade towards being a little bit of a homer around here, but Asheville was far and away the toughest team in the league that year. Well, yeah, like you said, you had Sean Legault, you had Brad Demonsky, Bruce Watson, Mike Varhog is in the league, Trevor Sand is in the league, Matt Rutchney. Yeah, I mean, um, Trevor, I love Trevor Sand. Yeah. Oh, that cat, I was so, so, or Adirondack, you played for the, was that Adirondack or was that still Winston-Salem, the Ice Hawks? That was Adirondack, it was him and Varhog, yeah. So, they came out here on St. Patty's Day, or right around there. So the Mallards dyed the ice, quote-unquote green, it was, it looked like 2,000 flushes. <laughs> and they, they throttled the Ice Hawks. It was like 7, 8, 9 to 1. 
and I was just waiting for Sen to do something. But you could tell that he's he was over it. He, he was over the game. And that was the curse of when the East Coast teams came out here, nothing ever happened. Yeah, well, that's too bad because you look at that team. I mean, they had Frank Littlejohn, uh, Trevor Sen, Alex Johnstone, Varhog, Lucas Nerling. I mean, phew. Yeah, that's tough. Oh, there, there's a cat that doesn't get a whole lot of name recognition either, but he was he was tough as nails as Lucas Nerling. Yep. Yep, no, absolutely no. I saw, saw his name. I wanted to throw it. Yeah, like I said, I wanted to throw his name out because he doesn't get talked about a lot. But, uh, yeah, he, he bounced around there for a little bit. He was in Muskegon and uh, Adirondack for a couple seasons. Went up in the American League with Albany. Yeah. And the, the K-Wings had a had a guy, uh, Benny Beausoleil. Yep, he didn't put up a whole lot of a whole lot of pin, but man, he was he was a tough tough dude. I think he went up to end up to go back to league for a while. Yep, no, he did. Yeah, and uh, well, another guy, of course, that he uh, we threw his name around. He was uh, you know played in the UHL forever. Um, uh, Frank Littlejohn. Oh, Littlejohn was one of the most entertaining. Entertaining guys. All right, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a couple seasons here. Absolutely. So the Mallards were playing the Danbury Trashers. We will get to Danbury here in a couple years. But the Mallards are playing the Trashers in the semifinals. Uh, Little John was on the Mallards at the time. Coach was the Colonel Brian Curran. And the Mallards lost in Danbury. Games, game six or game seven. So... Little John was going through the handshake line, and he spent, according to the coach, he spent a little too much time talking to the GM at the time, or GM or owner at the time. It was either, uh, uh, I cannot remember the, it was Galante, I cannot remember the gentleman's first name, was the owner, and then his son, AJ, was the general manager. Yep. So in the handshake line, Little John spent a, a fair amount of time talking to him, and after the game on the bus back to Quad City from Danbury, the colonel just didn't appreciate that. And they evidently, Mr. Little John and Mr. Curran, damn near came to blows on the team bus after the season that just ended. There you go. Look at this. We're, we're getting we're getting the inside scoops here, folks. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've I've heard was, from, I've heard from a few people that the colonel had a way of doing that to people. So, oh, I, I tell you what, I I, I know I, I got a couple stories from the the two thousand one two thousand two season, but I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Oh, we're right there. But, Hit me uh, with them. Let's let's hear them. Oh one, oh one, oh two United League stories. Okay, so so the Mallards had a player named Nick Ganga. He was he was, he was a big kid, probably six two six three. Put up uh, okay pims. Ended up going to the Quebec League for for a cup of coffee and realized that his his shtick didn't play up there, kind of like Duhart. Mm, I did not. I know all about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Curtis Voth was in the league at that year. That was the year he played in Missouri. Yep. So Ganga and Voth are having a go at the far end of the ice. At the time, I sat first row. Um behind the net on what would be the east end of the mark, excuse me, the west end. So they had to go at the east end, and they're 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 going at it. Ganga wasn't, he was a seatbelt guy. So they're tied up, and they split up, and Voth is just all of a sudden going nuts. Skating off the ice, grabbing his, 
grabbing his head. And when Genghis skating off the ice, he opens his hand because at the time Foth had you know he, he had pretty good pretty good mullet. Yep. So evidently during the scrap, Ganga didn't want to fight. So you see Belton Voth, and then he pulled out a handful of Voth's hair. Pulled out a chunk of his hair and left on the ice after he got kicked out. It's funny. I want to say Voth has actually told me that story. And, um, yeah, I could have, that would, I, that would fire me up. I would have to say someone yanked my hair. Uh, yeah, that's no shit. Curtis, I know you've listened to a few episodes. I hope you're listening to this one and you were in the sound of my voice. You need to come on this show. Get a hold of me. I, get, look at your Twitter private messages. I've sent you a hundred of them. Get back to me. Yes. We have talked, tried, yeah, we, to, tried to set up a time with, with Vother to get on here. And, uh, yeah, I'd love Mr. to have Voth, we need Mr. Voth, we need to hear the story firsthand about Nick Ganga yanking your hair out because... As a fan, it was pretty entertaining. No offense, but it was it was pretty funny. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's so it's so interesting. Of course, he was you know being on that minor league documentary, that tough guys documentary um, from '99 with him and Holiday and Brandon Christian and all them. Um, yeah, that was. Um, I want to talk to him about that because at the time, um, that document that was a really cutting edge documentary. You know, it was, and I had never seen that up until about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and everybody's kind of wondering what the hell we're talking about. Um, if you just go to YouTube, type in, like, Tough Guys Documentary, um, it comes up, and it's uh, 98.99 or 99.2000, one of them. And uh, and they follow they, these three guys, Kevin Holiday, Curtis Voth, and, uh, well, I guess Mark LaForge and Brandon Christian are on there, too. And it's just basically life in the minors and what they go through, and they're, they're mic'd up, and they got really inside. It's a document, uh, a really good mic'd up or documentary, and uh, it was really kind of cutting edge at the time. And uh, and actually, the guy who uh, was the the creator of that was the guy that created the Trailer Park Boys. For anybody out there, yes, the I, I remember hearing that. Well, what's funny is the guy who plays a role in that documentary is uh, Marty Metalchuk. Melanchuk. Oh, yes. The the meat grinder. And that year, the meat grinder goes to, he started the year in Adirondack and then gets traded to St. Charles to the River Otters. Yep. So we go down, uh, my dad and I and a couple friends go down to St. Charles for a game. They had a a beautiful arena. It was built. uh, The the River Otters started playing there. The first year was built. It sat 10,000 people. They would get maybe fifteen hundred on a good night, two thousand on a good night. So we go down there, and there's this guy taking warm ups for the otters that I had not, you know, I'd not seen him before. This guy who looks like a refrigerator with a head skating around during warm ups with a jersey, got no, he's got no shoulder pads on. Like Jesus Christ, this dude looks like a murderer. You know, he's got the dyed blonde hair. Yep. So he ends up not dressing for the game. I get up. I go to get a beer, which at the time, I go to get a beer with my fake ID at the time. And he's standing in line behind me, and I, I turn around. I said, you know, I, I just got to ask. You know, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with you. I, I saw you taking warm-ups. He goes, yeah, my name is Marty. It's good to meet you. And he was the you know, nicest guy I ever met, but. He was a monster. 
Yeah, he was. Yep. Yeah, he went on to do. He's done some MMA, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a. I believe he runs a pretty successful bar in Edmonton now, and uh, he actually ran for Edmonton City Council. And, oh, I, I don't want to hear about this because he had the way with the the vote meat grinder signs. Yeah, yeah, the vote meat grinder campaign signs. I didn't I didn't know about until after. And like I said, I had a buddy that lived in Edmonton. I totally would have got him to s- s- go steal me a couple campaign signs. I totally wanted one of those. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd throw two people in the river for one of those signs. Yeah, vote meat grinder. Like that's tremendous. Yeah. So also that year, the the Asheville Smoke had a guy named Chris Millett. <laughs> yep, he, he, he was tough as nails. So Western League guy, yeah, I watched him. Yeah, I watched his show in Kelowna a few times. Yeah, <laughs> he just actually just started following me on Twitter. I was pumped. Yes, I was big Chris Millet. God, he is me. I, I love those Rockets jerseys. Oh yes, yeah. Well, imagine, but yeah, he, he, he had Scott Parker and Todd Fedorik on the same team. The three of them. Jesus. Yeah, good luck to you. How are you going to have him and Parker in the fridge on the same team? You might as well just stay in the locker room. A lot of teams did. Yeah. Oh, Millette was, <laughs> Millette was so mean. Oh, he was so mean. Yeah. So there was uh, there was a pretty big scrum going on at the mark. And Millette, that year, um, I think the Mallards coach was Paul McLean. I'm not sure who would go on to win the Jack Adams trophy. Yep. But Millette was going around hounding Mark McFarland during the scrum. And the scrum would have been in like the Mallards offensive zone corner. And McFarland was skating through the neutral zone and the opposite zone. And Millette was going around just fucking hacking his hacking the shins. McFarland looks at the bench and the coach gives him a nod. So McFarland's like, fuck it. They drop the gloves. They go to center ice. You know they're they're squaring up, and then out of fucking nowhere, McFarland lands one of the hardest punches I have ever seen, and knocks Millette out cold with his right with, with this monster right, and Millette just drops at center ice out cold. And I want to say it was Tom Wilson in the box at the time. Wilson comes out of the box going after McFarlane as he's being escorted off the ice and it's damn near a bench clearer but the linesman get involved and but that was one of the single hardest punches I have ever seen at center ice drop Millette out cold um, yeah no McFarlane was a bad dude man he could put it down yeah yeah little little, little stocky dude yeah, yeah. I think that was the year that uh, Ken Boone was out, and it was Ken Boone, and I want to say Kenzie Homer out in New Haven too for the Knights. And we never, we didn't get to see them here at Quad City, but man, I wanted to see Ken Boone because I had heard a lot of stories about that cat. Yeah, old OHL guy. Yeah, Booner. Um, well, it's funny. I was just kind of looking at notifications on Twitter, and uh, Nick had sent me one when I had said you were going to come on the show today. He said, I will be waiting in a request. Any U-Haul alumni ask about specific memories of St. Charles? Yeah, I, I tell you what, I loved I loved going to St. Charles. It was, they, they didn't get 2,000 fans a night, but they always had at least one tough guy on the team. Um, they brought in Kimball. 
They brought in Vial. Uh, they had a kid, uh, his name was George Cantrell, from Springfield, I think it's from Springfield, Illinois. And and this this kid was, he was tough as nails. He would go with anybody, not, not a real big guy, but man, he would go with anybody. Uh, little John was down there for a little bit. Yep. Who else? Oh, they had one of my one of my favorites. Uh, may he rest in peace. Was Quentin Van Horlick? Yeah, L- a little guy who again would go with anybody. No, he was. Yeah, the Van Horlicks. Yeah, and uh, well, of course, uh, you know, uh, you know, brother Matt was there, and uh, yeah, Van Horlicks tough, very tough. Yeah, they were they were tough, tough as fucking nails. Yep, absolutely. And yeah. that's so what that that brings us to what uh, I think I want to say oh two oh three. Well, before we get uh, well, we yeah we were in two thousand two thousand one. But uh, what I was going to ask you before that, uh, a name that came up because he, he had I was just kind of scrolling the quad roster there, and uh, he he didn't play, but kind of briefly he showed up, and of course he would go on to. Uh, um. You know, minor league. I would, yeah, definitely. I, I was, yeah, I'd say he's a minor league legend. Uh, Segroy, Mike Segroy. Oh, Mike Segroy. I completely forgot about him going through making my notes before the show. Yep. 17 games that year. Yep. Yep. And I want to say he got traded to Rockford after here. Yeah. He, he had trouble finding guys to go with him, which is a kind of a, you know, we, we kind of get a lot of that with some of the Quad City guys. But yeah, he would have trouble getting guys to go with him. War number eight here. But yeah, he would just lay dudes out and then just turn and look and wait for a challenge, and nobody would go with him. Yeah, he's um, yeah, he's a tough dude, man. Uh, interesting. I mean, he he had um, he certainly he he had AHL toughness without a doubt. Probably NHL toughness. Oh yeah, to be honest. Probably NHL toughness, um, you know, and he could play a little. Certainly wasn't just uh, Joe Rockhead. He could play, and uh, but yeah, tough. Oh, he, he was a damn damn good skater. Yep, yep. Yeah, oh. he he was tough as nails, and I was bummed because they traded him. I don't remember what they traded him for to Rockford, probably for a you know player to be named later or some shit. But yeah, I was bummed because he came in here and he he could do what he wanted. There was nobody that wanted a piece of him. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, he was, uh, no, I saw his name up. That was interesting. But yeah, well, 0203, yeah, you guys are in the final. Paul Gillis is the coach. You guys are in the finals, or you're losing the finals to Fort Wayne. But um, interesting kind of going through that year. That's sort of the one year. Uh, I mean, you had toppers there, but uh, yeah, little, little, the cupboard a little bare that year. Yeah, that's, there wasn't a whole lot going on. So, I think that was the year that Retias Evenons was in Rockford. I, I, I'm pretty sure. So in the preseason, there was a there was a cat who played for the Mallards for years and years. I know Alec will know his name. His name was Patrick Nadeau. Uh undersized French centerman, scr- scrappy dude. But in the preseason, he was probably he couldn't have been five eight five nine. Dad's dad's favorite player. But so five eight five nine in the preseason, there's a scrum, 
and all of a sudden, I see his everybody called him Nads. Nads dropped the gloves with fucking Retias Evenons. I'm like, oh my god, he's going to get murdered. So he's fighting a dude damn near, you know, half a foot taller than him, just holding on for dear life, dragging him down. But son of a bitch, he, I, I, I was, I was jumping out of my seat cheering for this little dude who managed to fight even odds. Yeah, oh, that even odds a big dude, man. Guy's jacked too. Like, yeah, yeah, that's no shit. Because I know he played. I want to say he played New Haven, too. I believe so, yep. And that was the year that we had the one and only uh, uh, Big Mac, the Diesel, Steve McIntyre. Yes, he did, yep. And he, uh, I know he left the team for a little bit, wasn't sure if he wanted to keep going. And I know he talks about it on your previous, uh, you had a, a damn good episode of him. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've not listened to it, go back and go through the archives of the Fourth Line Voice. Listen to the Steve McIntyre episode. There you go. Yeah, good plug. Good plug. But he he was a guy who had a tough time finding guys to go with him too. Shit, he had a tough time finding guys in the National Hockey League to fight. Let yeah, that's no the shit. League. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple slow years in in Quad City. I know uh, that year and the next year we didn't have. Didn't have a whole lot of toughness down here. Well, it's it's interesting because uh, Paul Gillis is the coach, and Gillis when he played was kind of a chippy kind of dude. But I know I've heard from different guys. He, um, like I, I, well, I don't want to, you know, I know Morasti had issues with him. That's why Morasti left Danbury. Um, he just, I've been told by other guys that he just didn't know how to coach the tough guys, and. Uh, yeah, and you just look like, yeah, his team, I mean, Danbury, Danbury had guys, of course, but I mean, yeah, it was, uh, but then, at the same thing, I mean, you're in the finals and stuff, so it's like, how do you, like, you can't sit and argue with the guy's success, right? You know, that's the bitch of the thing. It'd be one thing if you were pussies and you were in last place, well, then you can kind of put the mouth on the guy, but when he's got you in the finals, it's like, oh, who's going to really listen to you at that point? Yeah, you can't really talk shit, but at the same time, yeah, it was it was entertaining, but at the same time, it wasn't what we were used to here in Quad. Well, it's funny, as we were talking, I've noticed all of a sudden the attendance figures are going down, too. You know? Yep. And it's like, and you guys are still doing pretty good, you know. I mean, even though that year they lost in the first round, but your attendance is at 5,000. Now, I'm sure most minor league teams would, you know, cut a nut off for 5,000 people, but when you were at 8 and 9, Years before that, it's like, well, that's a you're losing half your audience. That's a that's a big drop off. Well, red eye sells, right? Exactly. And if if you don't have that, and and you know, around here, you know, we got at the time we had Case IH, we had John Deere. So there's a lot of farmers around here. It's a blue collar area. Yep. So folks appreciate that blue collar. You know, get your nose dude, get your nose dirty. Not afraid to. You know, not afraid to get a little bloody when you're doing your work. So when yeah, you absolutely. see a bunch of guys out there kind of floating, you're thinking, well, 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 fuck here. If they're not giving it their all, why should I show up every game? Yeah. No, and that's the thing. And I mean, and I mean, you know, in 2020, I mean, it's obviously kind of a different animal. But I mean, at that time, late 90s, early 2000s, 
I mean, people, especially in that lower minors. And I mean, I'm not knocking any of the guys in the United League or anything like that. They'd say the same thing. I'm not saying anything that people don't say, but you know, you're you're not going to a quad city game to see the next Sidney Crosby. No. So what I want to go for, yeah, if they win, I mean, that's obviously the goal, of course, is to win. But at the end of the day, these people want 50-cent draft and a bunch of fights. And people yep, can that's, sit that's and listen, exactly they, right. can, they can argue all they want, but that's what they want. That's what the fans want down there at that time. Well, you no, well even even nowadays, you don't see, you know, a group of college – a group of college kids coming to the game, chanting for a goal. No, nope. exactly. Well, and, you know the, the NHL. NHL is what it is, but yep. you know you you can have that NHL building is going to sell out every night, no matter what, for the most part. But down to the minors, folks want to be entertained, and there's not, you know, especially nowadays, there's not a whole lot of dollar to go around for entertainment. Yeah. So, you know, you go, you see an entertaining hockey game, a couple scraps, fuck, I'm coming back next weekend. Yep. And advertised for that, and it's like, even you go back, and, you know, I always, I always laugh at the hockey cards and everything else. Even the minor league hockey cards had fight pictures on the front. You know, I mean... They oh, knew, yeah! They knew what sold. I mean, I have a yep. program around here somewhere. It's the Rio Grande uh, Killer Bees. It, from the Central League, it's the very first program they ever put out. Uh, I, oddly enough, of all things, I found it at a flea market in Edmonton. The Rio Grande Killer Bees first game program. And who's on the front cover? Schmier. Yeah, yeah. That must be for all the oh, goal, that must be for all the goals he's going to score that year. Yep. You know, and it's a fight pick. God, I I love those sweaters. I would I would I would do terrible things to two people for one of those sweaters. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I was gonna I, a name I wanted to throw at you. We were going, and we kind of we kind of jumped ahead. But the, if, to go back the one year, I mean, and another another plug, another former guest, folks, go back and listen to the episode who had five hundred and seventy six minutes and penalties that year, along with twenty nine goals. That's a hell of a year for the Elmira Jackals. Was Brad Wingfeld. So, oh my God! So that was a guy I heard stories about. To you know, stories about to set the cows to was Brad Wingfield out in Elmira. Yep, and that was one of the two or three years where I actually, you know, my friends and I, or my dad and I, made the drive out to Elmira to watch some hockey. Because I mean, fuck, we're in the Midwest. What else? What else is there to do but drive out to New York to watch some hockey? Tremendous. And and this dude was like he could play. Yep. Because all I heard was, oh, he, oh, he's he's a goon. He steps on the ice for four shifts a game. I'm like, all right, well, I'll go out and see. Because they didn't come out all the way west very often. And the first time I went out there, he had I want to say he had three points at a fight. I'm like, holy shit, this dude can play. And I started following his career. And man, he like he was one of the better skilled guys in the league, let alone one of the toughest guys in the league. No, absolutely. Yeah, and like you said, you had McIntyre there, and it, well, of course, Almira had. You know, we go back to Millet. Yeah, Millet and Wingfeld. I mean, that's pretty hell of a combo. But then Adirondack yeah, again, Johnstone, little little John, and uh, Jason Bone. 
was there. Um, Flint had Corey Laniak, you know. um, (laughs) Flint always had some tough teams. What's funny is in Flint, so behind the home team bench, there was no glass. (laughs) So, and I had a couple friends who sat right behind the bench. And they had a, a cat named Mark Major who played, which I'm sure you know people will recognize that name. Yep. So my friend would buy her kid nachos, and fucking Mark Major every game would turn around and steal nachos from her kid. <laughs> and I tell you what, Flint. There's a lot of people around here who would say they, they'd sewer Flint. Say, oh, I had a you know horrible time up there. Blah blah blah. And. Flint as a town, they would talk shit about. I went up there. I had to go see a game up there at least 20 times. And it was phenomenal up there. Because they, they wouldn't pack the house very often. But the people who were there were passionate about it. And they would you know, scream and yell. They had short glass. They could lean over the glass and yell and talk shit to the players. And I loved it. That's tremendous. Um, oh, shit. I had to pause it again. I got to take a piss. Jesus. I- oh, that reminds All right. Well, we're back. We're back here, folks. We took a took a break, and we rambled about other things. I don't really know where we are, but uh, I'm, I'm going to say I'm just going to move to 0304. Uh, we're back with uh, a Paul Gillis-coached Quad City team, and, uh, again, pretty uh, pretty dry in terms of toughness. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Darren. You uh, you distracted me there. I kind of lost my train of thought. I'm going to put it all on you. But yeah, that uh, 304 year, there wasn't a whole lot going on. We had uh, that was the year I think Topper retired. Carrie uh, Topper out. <laughs> Pardon me. What's I remember reading in the papers? He he had an issue with blood clots. Yes. So he was on blood thinners. And I believe that was the year he fought. Uh, there was a, a cat in Kalamazoo named uh, Camille Le- Charlie Elise. Yep. So Toporowski had to have a pretty extensive brace on one of his hands. So I remember him fighting fighting Charlie Elise with one glove still on, one glove off, and just oh, throwing bombs with that bare hand. But there was a there was a guy here, um, and I, ha- I I've heard his name mentioned on on your show a little bit, on Alex's show a little bit, but it was Brad Essex. Yes, pretty pretty quiet guy, you know, defensive guy. But man, when he would drop the gloves, it was he he would throw them to fucking beat the band. Yep. The the Mallards traded for him. He was in he was in Adirondack. Uh, my dad and I, a couple friends, actually went out to Elmira, Adirondack, and this cat Brad Essex was playing out there. And I thought, God damn, this this guy's got a mean streak to him. And then a couple weeks later, he got traded to the Mallards. I'm like, oh shit, I'm I'm happy as hell. And anytime he dropped the gloves. He it it was an event. No, absolutely. Well, it's probably just kind of going through there. Yeah, Brad Essex, and uh, uh, well, you threw Kalamazoo out. The one name that I, Kalamazoo here, he led the league in penalty minutes 
was, of course, Tyler Willis. Fucking Willie. Oh, I tell you what, that dude was always entertaining as hell. He oh, was, I, what, 5'8"? Uh, five, 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 yeah. 5'8", five, 5'9", five, maybe on a good day. But no matter where where he was on the ice, hacking, slashing, chopping, talking shit, he was one of the most entertaining players I had ever seen at this level. Yep. Oh, and I, that was the year... Uh, that was the year the Mallards brought in, as we talked earlier, Big Ugly, Tyler Lawson. Yeah. Yeah, Tyler Lawson. He, um, unfortunate, uh, you know, kind of a, definitely kind of a tragic figure. Um, yeah, may, may you rest in peace. Yeah, but uh, that was a big, tough t- kid, man. And, uh, yeah, three games, 32 We minutes. were, yeah, we were up in Flint. <laughs> And I remember he was chasing Kevin Kerr up and down the ice. Um, I got a couple pictures of him trying to get Kerr to go. And, you know, at, at that point, Kerr's like, fuck this. You know, I'm, I'm one of the top scorers in the league. I have nothing to prove. I'm not going to fight a dude that's a foot taller than I am. But he was he was trying to get Kerr to go. Nothing happened. But, yeah, he uh, – I think he got traded to Richmond after he was here. Yep. So yeah, that 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 cat had you know the world by the ass if he could have just pulled it together. Yep. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that that, actually, another guy I was looking at here. Uh, well, you have Pascal Morency. There's another character in Flint. Oh, well, well, yeah, he was in Flint that year, and then he went to play in Fort Wayne later on. Another undersized dude who, whenever he was on the ice. It was like a cannonball in a jersey. You look for, I don't know, I know he wore 55 in Flint. I don't know what number he wore, excuse me, he wore 55 in Fort Wayne. Can't remember what number he wore in Flint. But any time that dude was on the ice, you knew somebody was going to get laid out. He was going to ask somebody to go. And it was just entertaining as hell. Yep. No, just a, yeah, one of them little bastards. And then... That was the year in in quad we had a cat named Rob Volterra. Yes. And he didn't, uh, another guy who didn't get a whole lot of press, he could he could put the puck in the net, decent player, but man, he was a, he was a beast out there. And he would just, he would just dummy guys if they decided to drop the gloves, which didn't happen a whole lot, but man, he was a monster. Yep. Absolutely. Actually, and another guy that was in Richmond, um, Brad Booth. There's another guy. And, oh, that that's a cat that, you know, I heard a lot about. We didn't see, I think we saw Richmond twice that year. And, you know, everybody's talking, oh, you know, Brad Booth, he's, he's the best dude out here. But he didn't fight here. But I watched videos. I think you might have one or two of his scraps on, you know, Fort Fun Voice on YouTube. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he he was a monster. Yeah, I was an SJHL guy. Yeah, he played in Labret. Uh, actually, my brother fought him when he was in the SJ. Uh, yeah, tough dude. Uh, he had come out of Fresno there in the West Coast and like four hundred minutes, and then uh, yeah, he played a couple one or yeah two years I think, or once in the one in the United League there, and then one in the East Coast. And then he retired. I think he only played like six, five or six pro seasons. But uh, yeah, tough guy, big tough native dude. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, he 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 was a beast. And I I want to say that was the year that was near the end. Rob Frid, mm-hmm. which he's doing he's doing a lot of work with uh, with with guys who are you know having CTE and kind of post hockey issues. Yep. He was in Rockford that year, and then he got traded or released from Rockford, and then they brought in a cat named Jeff Wasco, oh, yeah. who was he he was a monster six 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 seven something like that, and he actually wore. The same number as Rob Frid. I remember I was pissed because I wanted Rob Frid, Rob Frid's ice hogs jersey, and they gave us number to Wasco. Yeah, Jeff Wasco. There's the name. Yep. Well, it's it's interesting well, we talk about Rockford because, of course, the infam- one of the yeah another infamous video that's on YouTube, of course, is from the Rockford Ice Hogs when Jason Ralph is mic'd up and. Uh, Famously going after Willis and uh, all the all the guys during the lockout, Chelios and all them. Um, but of course, his coach. Hey, that was, was I, that was the next year, wasn't it? Oh uh, yeah, oh four oh five, I believe. Yeah, this lockout was oh four oh five uh, because that's the year I'm looking at right now in hockey DB. Um, uh, I totally lost what I was going to say. Oh, with Rockford, um, of course, their coach was Steve Martinson. Oh, that they brought in Martinson, and, I, and right away I was—I looked on, you know, I, I looked on the stats and where he'd coached before, and he coached in San Diego before. Yeah, and his San Diego teams were just steamrollers. Yep, they would just dominate everything. I thought, oh fuck, he's bringing in all these cats. Um, I want to say that was was that the year they had uh, Robin Big Snake, Chaz Johnson, and Bruce Watson. Mm, no, this is the year they had LaBelle. Oh, that's right, that's right, Eric LaBelle. That cat, he played the Q. Yep. And, yeah, every time he was out there, out on the ice, you do some something interesting was either going to happen or he was going to try to start something. Yep. Yeah, well, Bruce Watson was there. He did play for that team at that time. Like uh, They had Reed Simpson for a little while, too, actually. Yeah. Which kind of just, that was that was near the end of his career. He didn't do a whole lot that year. That was uh, or four. That was the lockout year, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Which that was the year the Mallards brought in the uh, quote unquote bringer of violence, OJ Hare. Okay, you and I were talking about this cat off cut off the air, and a friend of mine, rest in peace, Bob. Miss you. Uh, your damn lions got me again. Um, he had talked to me about this character. He hasn't even ever heard of him. And I looked up his stats. Two games, five minutes, that's it. From Calgary, Alberta, O.J. Hare. And uh, the bringer of violence. This is what this guy called himself. And he sold t-shirts because my friend Bob had a t-shirt and was telling me about it. Well, you have an interesting story you were telling me. Can you share that for yep. the listeners? Yep. So the, the GM at the time, he said... This, this this guy got a hold of me. He said, I'm 6'6", 260. I have 4% body fat. I'm a tough guy. And the GM of Mallard said, all right, we'll bring you in. We'll bring you in for training camp. And he was out there for training camp, and when he stepped onto the ice for training camp, he split the – he was going to broke the skate on his blade because he was, he was a monster guy. Well, the Mallards played the Rockford Ice Hogs in the preseason game. O.J. Hare was out there trying to get uh, 
a cat named Frankie Allen to fight. And Frankie Allen, you know, wouldn't go, wouldn't go. And then OJ turned his back on him, and Frankie Allen dropped the gloves and jumped OJ. And OJ beat the brakes off this kid. I'm like, all right, that, you know, that's awesome. You know, I like the, you know, I like the tough guys. I like the ones that are bringing in for two, three games. So I go to the season at the time I was a season ticket holder. I go to the season ticket holder party, and this monster guy is wearing a three piece suit. You know, dark gray pinstripes, wearing a pinstripe hat to match. I'm like, oh, this is, this guy knows what's up. And the beat writer at the time asked asked OJ, he said, what do you bring to the team? And OJ said, I bring violence. All right. I like this cat. Yep. So the first game of the season, we go up. The first game of the season is in Rockford. And OJ gets one or two shifts, and he has chased around Eric LaBelle, this cat, out of the queue. And they have a fight. Eric LaBelle gets gets the better of him. And eh, he he definitely gets the better of OJ. And the next night, the Mallards are in Flint. We go up to Flint. Not a whole lot happens. Then OJ gets released. Well... Cut to a couple of years ago, I actually have the fight video on YouTube where OJ and Eric LaBelle fight. And some random guy sends me a message on YouTube and says, hey, you know, OJ's kind of down. Do you know anybody who has a jersey of his? And I happen to have the only pro jersey that OJ ever wore. So I said, you know, I have the only jersey that, that he wore. And I said, you know, I got, I got 250 in it. You know, you, know, you sent me 250, it's his. So this, his first name was Patrick. I don't remember his last name. Patrick PayPal's me 350. He says, send this jersey overnight to Calgary to OJ so I can cheer him up. So the next day I get a picture in my email of OJ wearing that Quad City jersey, just smiling ear to ear, got his dukes up. And it, I, I tell you what, it made my day. Tremendous. There we go. The OJ Her story. The bringer of violence. And you helped him out. You the helped bringer him out of violence. With his jersey. That's awesome. There was a lot of cats that year. There was a uh, former fourth line voice interviewee. Les Borsheim was also on the Mallards that year. Absolutely. And I know Les has been listening to this. And uh, I hope everybody checked out. Uh, Les just uh, wrapped up his golf tournament for his uh, raising money for his rehab, and uh, I hope I hope he did well for his golf tournament. I'm going to have to get a hold of him and ask him how everything went. But uh, back in his playing days, Les was a bad dude, man. And yeah, 252 minutes that year in Quad City. What are your memories, old Les? I, I tell you what, anytime Les was on the ice, he was, uh, there was nobody getting around him, that's for damn sure. Yep. And he, so there was a cat named Curtis Tidball playing for Flint that year. Mm-hmm. And I got the, I got the picture on my wall here in the, in the basement. My wife, my beautiful wife was, uh, nice enough to let me decorate the basement how I wanted. I got a picture of him fighting Curtis Tidball here in Quad City. And, you know, they went toe to toe, blow for blow. 
And that's how Les always was. No matter who it was, he would just open up. He actually fought uh, Jamal Mayers, St. Louis Blue, who ended up playing for the Missouri River Riders that year. Yep. He threw down with Jamal Mayers. And maybe it's the homer in me, but I'd like to think that he beat the brakes off Mayers. Yeah, they uh no less is a tough dude, man. And uh yeah. He was. Yeah, big dude. Uh, I know when he played in Brandon, uh big just kind of big tough D man. Um yeah, and uh another another uh, jacked up dude with Josh Mazer. I think Josh Mazer <coughs> said less had the biggest arms in the league. Yeah, he uh yeah, big old farm boy from Saskatchewan. Yeah, less could go. So, I I got a funny story for you. That was the year it was uh, Daring Hatcher, Chris Chelios, uh, and Sean Avery. Were, yep. Yep, they were playing in Motor City. So the night before they're playing, or a couple nights before they're playing in Motor City, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's go, let's go up to Detroit, watch a game. <laughs> and I was, I was sick as hell. Like I had the flu. Went to the doctor. Doctor gave me a bunch of antibiotics. He said, you know, don't drink. While you're drinking or while you're taking these, okay, fuck it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take any of these so I can drink when I go on the road trip. So we decided to go to Motor City. You know, Hatcher and Chelios are playing. Avery suspended for the game. Across from the arena where the mechanics play, Italian restaurant. Long story short, I get, I, I have one or two or seven beers before the game. We go into the game, and I got my camera with me, and that happens to be the one fighting major that Chris Chelios has in the UHL. The Mallards have a player named Dave Stewart at the time, and he is just, you know, he's sticking, slashing, hacking everybody he can. And out of the blue, Chelios drops the gloves and just starts teeing off on Dave Stewart. And God bless Dave Stewart, little guy, he would go with anybody trying to hold his own with Chris Chelios, NHLer, and my drunk ass in the stands, trying to get okay video of it. It's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> but the uh, Chris Chelios versus Dave Stewart fight on YouTube is one of the uh, one, of, one of the top hits I have on my, <laughs> on my YouTube channel. There you go. Well, it's a... Uh, I think... <coughs> it's a rare piece of oh, video. Go ahead. It is the uh, the one that was also the year that was immortalized in the movie Road Hogs, where Jason Ralph is chirping Chris Chelios all night long up there. Yep. Oh, that's that's a tremendous video. I love that video. And he, he's getting into it with Willis and uh, fucking Willie. Yeah, yeah. I I love fucking that Jason Ralph video. That made Jason Ralph an internet sensation. It did. Yeah. There. Okay. So there was a team that year. It was a one-year team in Kansas City. They were the Kansas City Outlaws, and they had a cat who was a monster in the in the queue. The Quebec Major Juniors. His name was George Davis. Yep. Yep. George, George the Animal. They had him in Kansas City. They had Mark Andre Waugh for a little while, and. Davis was a fucking beast. He would try to get 
everybody to go. Not a whole lot would go with him. Borsheim gave him a good tilt. Um, a, a guy that the uh, the Mallards had at the time, his name was Serge. I apologize. I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation. Crocheteer? Yeah, Serge Crocheteer. He he went with with Davis, but he he couldn't. Davis couldn't find a whole lot of guys to go with him. And I want to say he only played another one or two years pro that year, or excuse me, after that year. Yeah, actually, I my I have a video of him uh, when he was playing in the Quebec League. He got him in the junior league. Uh, he tries to Superman punch the bench. He skates at the bench and just he tries to super punch Superman punch this guy, and he just misses him. If he had hit that guy, <laughs> that guy would have he'd still be he still wouldn't have landed. Yeah, uh, uh, just type in super. Go to my just do a search for Superman punch, and that'll come up. George Davis attacks the bench, but yeah, he was uh, he came in with a big rep in junior out of junior, and. Uh, him and uh, a lot of those guys that George Davis, uh, George Cantrell. There's another guy. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think he tried his hand at the Quebec League briefly, but yeah, and and that year uh, the River Riders were were you know Cantrell played there. They had they had mayors that year, but they also you know, Dennis Vial was brought in that year. Yep, but they Eric, also had Eric a cat and was there. I think. Yeah, Barrett Jackman was there. Uh, Ryan Johnson was there. Yeah. Which I give all the credit in the world to you know Johnson, Jackman, and Mayers because they would they would actually ride the bus everywhere where the Motor City guys they would ride the bus here and there. They'd pick their spots, but it was pretty awesome seeing you know Mayers, Jackman, Johnson playing in Quad City where they didn't have to ride the bus for you know four hours, but they they, they still did. No, absolutely. But there were there was a cat in Missouri that year, which you know you and I talked about before we started recording. Uh, Quentin Van Horlick, yep, undersized guy. You know, may he rest in peace. But undersized guy would fight absolutely anybody. Cue ball had you know he had a screw loose, but he would fight anybody. No, absolutely, and yeah, and his brother, of course, his brother Matt was super tough as well, and uh, yeah, no, that Van Horlick clan's a tough clan. Them and was the other Vandermeers, all them crazy dudes, and uh, but I was gonna say in the in the oh five oh six, this is our first introduction to the Danbury Trashers, and I'm sure this is your first introduction to John Morasti. Oh. <laughs> okay, so you know, I, okay, I collect game worn jerseys. I have, oh shit, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, uh, I'm jumping forward here a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna jump forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I apologize, listeners. So John Morasti ended up playing for the Fort Wayne Comets for a handful of games, fourteen games or something like that. Yep. I take pictures during the games. I go down to the to the glass during warm-ups. Morasti looks at me wearing the Quebec Radio X Jacques Dubé jersey that I have. He skates around a couple times, bangs the glass, stops in front of me, goes, hey, watch this. And he just rips a fucking slap shot all the way down the ice. Catches a mallard like in the back, right between the numbers, laughs his ass off. 
but the the Danbury team, we got to see them once once a season out here. We went out to Danbury the next year, but it's it's amazing. Just obviously the stories about Danbury, and it makes me a little jealous thinking, God damn, if we were if we got to see them, you know, two three four times a year, that we missed out on most of the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They. Um, what a what a what a sh- what a shit show. Actually, I think I said oh five oh six was their first season. I guess oh four oh five would have been their first season. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No, I was. I missed it by a year. But yeah, that. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I was just looking. Yeah, they were only there for two years, right? Yep, two years. So their second year, uh, my dad, who, you know, God bless my dad, is my best friend. He had no problems following me around wherever the hell I wanted to go. I said, hey, Dad, let's go to Danbury. And uh, another buddy of ours like, oh, I'll tag along. So we drive all the way out to Danbury, Connecticut, about 14, 15 hours. We get out there, and Big Jim Galante, the owner of the team, we're in the in the merchandise stand. And this guy who is currently on federal indictment shakes my hand. It says to the person working behind the counter at the merchandise stand, get this guy whatever he wants. Get him a t-shirt, get him a hat, get him a puck. Whatever he wants, it's on me. Tremendous. So we're out there, and it's they put so much money. It's a, it's a practice rink. But they sunk so much money into this this practice rink, where one side there's there's no stands at all, and on the other side there's you know, you know fancy suites, nice plush seats. Excuse me, it's it's a beautiful rink from you know from one side to the other. It's just the money they sunk into their players is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it, it disappointed me because at the time we were coached by uh, Brian Curran, who always had tough teams, but we were a little soft that year. So Morasti was out skating around trying to get somebody to go. Wingfield was – I don't know if Brad Wingfield was completely recovered from the Josh Elzinga incident. Yeah, which I'm sure your listeners know. The season before, um, Kalamazoo Wings player Joss Elzinga got tangled up with Brad Wingfield, broke his leg, and that was the year that you know Wingfield went nuts on Elzinga. Yep. But it was it was crazy because at the time I was wearing a Ryan McIntosh Quad City Mallard jersey, who played in Danbury. So I'm standing on the line trying to find, you know, trying to buy a beer. And this gal comes up to me and goes, Oh, you know, is that Ryan McIntosh? I said, Yeah. Oh, well, he's, he's really good at making out. All right. How do I, you know, how do I answer that? But it was, it was crazy out there. Uh, AJ, he's really good at AJ Galante, you know, 17, 18 year old general manager, basically playing. Fantasy hockey. Oh yeah, 
Like, oh yeah, he's just doing everything that we would do, right? Like I would have totally did right. what he did. Like just bringing in the me- the meatballs and shit. Absolutely, I would have. Oh, it was phenomenal. It made me it made me a little jealous that all the people, all the teams out east, got to see it. We got to see it once a year. Yep. So the Mallards actually ended up playing the Trashers that year in the playoffs in the semifinals. And I talked to, I'm not, I'm not going to say the player's name, but I talked to, the Mallards ended up losing uh, game six. No, I apologize. Game seven, they lost in Danbury. <laughs> and I talked to this player, and he said before the game, the referee came up to him and said, you're not going to win this game. And the player said, what do you mean? He goes, you're, there's no chance you're going to win this game. Game seven semifinals. And it ended up that this player got a five-minute cross-checking major for pushing somebody with his gloves in the third period. And the Trashers ended up scoring. They won. They went to the finals. They ended up losing to Kalamazoo. But I thought it was pretty amusing that you know the ref came up to the guy during warm-ups and said, you're not going to win this. <laughs> yeah, they had that, that. That was already planned out. Yeah. But just just the stories out of Danbury. Um, well, your interview with Wingfeld, you know, sitting on the bench, getting the call, the trainer answering a cell phone on the bench and saying, you know, go after such and such player while he's sitting on the bench. That was that was tremendous. Oh yeah, you know. But I've, I've told a few people that they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, listen to the episode now." You know. You could say maybe, maybe not. I'm like, well, you could, you know, you could go debate Brad Wingfield on whether that happened or not, but that's what he told us. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that that dude's word is gospel as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that story's so out there. I mean, who would who would think of that to come up with that on the spur of the moment? So, I and I mean, from everything you hear out of Danbury, is it really that far-fetched? It's like, no, you know. But, um, well, we'll keep moving along here. I know I've I've taken a lot of your time up, but one of the things I did want to ask you, uh, when Quad Cities changed over to the American Hockey League and they became the Calgary Flames uh, affiliate, what did you think of that? Oh, I tell you what, for for my money, I would say that behind the LNAH, the AHL at the time was the toughest league around. Yep. So the first year we were the you know the Quad City Flames in town, we had a cat that I'm sure everybody knows named Brandon Crust. Yep. And then there was there was Matt Pellick, who's I think his brother is still playing for uh, the Islanders right now, and a younger kid named Ryan Donnelly. But the the league was was tough as nuts. Well, in Iowa, they had B.J. Crombie, Brett Westgarth, who's younger brother, um, and then they had a kid named Richard Clune. Peoria had Hans Benson, Eric Nielsen, and some guy that is popular on social media named Ryan Reeves. He's irrelevant. Yeah, he's irrelevant. He nobody, you know, he he's. Not important to the game nowadays. Yeah. 
Or I'm going to keep talking about him. How I'm going to keep talking about how irrelevant he is. Yeah. Yeah. Every other tweet is Ryan Reeves, but he's not important to the game. Yeah. Exactly. But I, um, I like the, the San, I like the San Antonio team that year. Oh, the San Antonio team. They had uh, what? They had they had Pete Vandermeer. Yep. Who was obviously a legend. Yep. Um, Josh Grad. Josh Grad. Josh Grad. And I think Adam Keefe was on that team too. Yes, indeed he was. Yep. So what's funny is that year, at the end of the season, they they gave away all the home jerseys. You know, you bought a raffle ticket, and if you won, you got a player's number, and you got to go on the ice, accept the jersey, and all that shit. Yep. So my dad bought some raffle tickets. Uh, the Flames ended at home, and they had a two-game set down in San Antonio. So my dad bought some raffle tickets. He ended up winning uh, Chris Kalanos's game worn jersey, which you know there's not not a tough guy. He can put the puck in the net. There's a video on YouTube of him making Patrick Wall look silly. So dad ends up winning this jersey, and the next day we're flying out to San Antonio because we want to watch the last two games of the year. So dad's down there. He gets the jersey. The woman says, you know, you will, we'll wash the jersey. We'll get it to you in a couple days. And dad says, no, we're going to San Antonio at five o'clock in the morning tomorrow. She goes, oh, okay. Well, here you go. And the jersey is literally dripping sweat. It, it reeks. But there's no time to wash it. So dad buys a bottle of Febreze, soaks the fucking jersey in Febreze, the whole bottle, puts in his carry-on, throws it in the plane. By the time we get to San Antonio the next day, the whole plane reeks of hockey sweat. <laughs> See, dad's, dad says, you know, I don't give a shit, I'm wearing it anyway. And it's, it's just dripping Febreze when we go down into San Antonio He's wearing it on the river walk down there, and everybody's just giving him the stink eye because it stinks so bad. But we're in the arena where you know San, they played the Rampage, San Antonio Rampage. They were part owner; they were owned partially by the San Antonio Spurs. So they play in a twenty thousand seat arena. They got three thousand fans in there, and I guarantee you, every every one of those fans could smell that fucking jersey all night long. <laughs> Oh, that's tremendous! Well, but, uh, I was gonna say, uh, John, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna, you know, John Scott was in Houston that year. Yep, big dude, uh, fellow podcaster. I would, ladies and gentlemen, fourth line voice is superior to John Scott's podcast, in my opinion. Oh, look at that! You read that just like I asked you to. Right on. You just you just threw it out there. Uh, I'm waiting for the check in the mail. But there there were some tough dudes in that in the central. Or I think it was the central division at the time. Peoria had Hans Benson, Eric Nielsen, um, John Scott. Chicago had Andre DeVoe, Boris Volovic, Dale Purinton, Mitch Love were in Cleveland. Yeah, it was it was a pretty tough league. Absolutely. Yep. No, kind of a really good, that sort of last sort of stretch, I think, of kind of glory period of, of kind of tough hockey where every team had guys. And I think it started to really, 
I mean, there's still a few years, but it was uh, it was kind of starting to fade a little bit. Um, I didn't realize you only they were only there for two seasons. The Flames. Yep. And, yeah, and you guys it was kind to, of unfortunate. Yeah, and then you guys went back to the IHL. And that first year, well, the, there was one year. There was one year in the IHL. The coach was uh, Frank Anselm, which he was not a fan of the tough hockey, which he said. But he brought in a former Fourth Line Voice podcast member and owner of No Name Hockey, Mm -hmm. uh, Jason Jason Goulet. Yep. And then, uh, along with Jason Goulet, they brought in a cat named Mark Recklich. Yep. Whose brother made the show. You know, maybe I'm a homer, but that year um, in Bloomington, they had uh, a tough guy named Justin Sawyer. They had a guy named Robin Gomez. And it seemed like every other weekend, Jason Goulet was out there just putting, just beating the brakes off Justin Sawyer or Robin Gomez. But okay, so so give me a little insight on minor league hockey here. They came the the they were the AHL in oh eight oh nine yeah oh nine ten they dropped down to the IHL and the owner at the time uh, full of pageantry he the you know the, the tagline for the season was quack to the future because they brought in the Quad City Mallards name again when they announced the name. This motherfucker brought in a Back to the Future looking DeLorean. So he drives up in a DeLorean onto the ice, knocks nice. the door, and says, We're the Quad City Mallards again. Well, there you go. I love it. I'm down with it. Absolutely. It, it was a tough team, at the time, or a tough league at the time. Yep. In, in Flint, they had uh, uh, Derek Parker was in Flint that year. Yeah. Well, to start the year. So I always brought my camera to the games and I, I fucking forgot my camera this night that we're that, that the Mallards are playing Flint. So I left in the first period to go get my camera, bring it back. I come back and I see Jason Goulet in the box for five minutes and Derek Parker has five minutes on the board, but there's nowhere to be seen. And I thought, well, you know, what the fuck happened? And a buddy of mine got it on cell phone video you know, uh, Goulet and Parker square up, drop the gloves at center ice, and Goulet absolutely beats the brakes off Parker, drops him with one punch, picks him up, and just pounds him seven or eight times with his, you know, monster fucking ham fist. And then two days later, Parker is out of Flint and ends up in Dayton, I want to say. Yep. Yeah, it, but there was. Yeah, I forgot, in, I forgot in, Parker was down there. Yeah, Parker. He didn't have the best year, and then I think he went back to Quebec after that. Yep. But in, in Fort Wayne, they had a cat, and I know you've mentioned him before. His name was Kaylee Schrock. <laughs> yep. Yep. The, in Fort Wayne, they called him Schrocky Balboa. Yep. What that? You know, that's, un, that's tremendous. Undersized dude. Oh, they're, they, uh, his bobblehead that they came out with says Rocky Balboa and he's got boxing gloves on. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was, he was all over the ice, fight anybody, no matter, you know, what size they were. 
and I, everybody hated Fort Wayne at the time. Like, yo, this cat, this this, this cat's something something special. I want to say he wore number seventy nine. Yep. He played Fort Wayne forever, and he was from Fort Wayne. I want to say he does. He's local. Yeah, he works out of the rink now. Apparently, he's a big anti-fighting guy now too. So really, yeah. Because I was trying to hook up. I'm like, oh, he'd be a great guest, and then I was told he's a big anti-fight guy now. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck it, forget it. Know your roots, man. Come on, you know. Yeah, no shit. But whatever. But yeah, he was uh, a good, decent player too. You know, and. Uh, undersized but yeah he was uh scrappy yeah that's no shit and i i think brad mcmillan actually was on the comments that year too who we spoke about earlier dropped uh cody Doucette. yep yeah the only thing i about the ihl i always i just i fucking hated that they called it the ihl i'm like that's so oh, that that was just irritated me i'm like don't do that like come on it's one of those no, it wasn't the same no, I don't know why it irritated me, but it just irritated me. Yeah, and I know that they wanted to promote fighting. They actually dropped the they dropped the instigator rule unless it was the final five minutes of the game. And they're you know trying to promote the toughness of hockey, but they were they were only around for one year when the Mallards were in it, yep. and then they made the jump to the Central League. Yeah, well, like you said, yeah, Central League. So the Mallards are in there from 2010 to 2014. Now, at this point, what's your kind of... Uh, are you still kind of going to a lot of the games? I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, it's it's a little slow. Uh, I had met my now wife, then girlfriend at the time, and she was she was into hockey a little bit. She had been to some Peoria games. When the Riverman had, you know, Kimball and Lawmaster and, and that. But she was a, li- a little slow to get into it. So I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite as into it because you know, I was into her more than hockey. Yep. But she kind of started getting into it. So we started going a little more. And the Central League actually had some, some pretty tough guys at that time. Oh yeah, there was a cat. Um, well, he was—I think he was a, a, a dub guy. It was Chris Cloud. Yep, played in the Blades here. He played. Yep, yep. He played in in Bloomington. You know, kind of small guy, but man, he would go with anybody. A wrecking ball on the ice. Yep. But the, there, there was a couple years when in Quad City we didn't have a whole lot of tough guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I mean, were, at, that, at that point, I mean, you start getting into the, you know, 14, 15, 16, around, the, I mean, you know, that fighting is kind of going the way of the dodo. I mean, it's just really not much happening. And it was, it'd just be interesting um, being around, you know, in Quad Cities all that time when you saw the big crowds and stuff. At this point, like when they're in the East Coast League and stuff, what are they drawing in terms of fans? Oh, it was, I tell you what, it was, it was kind of sad on, on weekdays. We were lucky to get 15,000 or 1,500, 2,000 fans. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it was pretty sad because, you know, there'd be seven, eight, 9,000 fans in there on a weekday in the old days. But at least we had, you know, there was always one, at least one guy who would go at it in the central league or in the early years, of the East coast league. 
But you could tell that the game was starting to kind of move beyond that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny, as I'm on Hockey DB here, I noticed there's an eBay auction for a Gary Goulash bobblehead that ends in 12 hours. I might have to. Well, oh, oh, my God, it was crazy. I mean, when they first gave those away, they would go on eBay for 50, 100, 150 bucks. Oh, the pr- price of bobbleheads is insane. Yeah, like, I was looking, uh, yeah, like, Muraski had a couple. Just ridiculous prices. I was like, okay, well, I'm not getting one of those, I guess. You know? Well, I know the Toporowski ones were going for, you know, 50, 60, 70 bucks. I'm like, Jesus, it's, it's, it's a fucking plastic thing. Yeah. It's just on your shelf. Yeah. No. But then again... People are insane. My dumbass will spend six, seven, eight hundred bucks for a jersey. So I guess I can't really talk a whole lot. Well, we we all have our yeah. And I'm, while and I'm in, I am currently staring at my topper bobblehead, which I am enjoying. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> no, he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all have our 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 collections, right? Of our of our goofy things, but uh, but yeah, man, just. Uh, well, and then finally, of course, they are now the Quad City Storm in the Southern Professional Hockey League. And I know uh, you do some work with the Storm, do you not? I, you know, I, I take a lot of pictures of the Storm. Um, I'm good buddies with the media guy at the Storm, Brian. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your last name, which is funny because mine's a bit off as well. Um, but I, I love the Southern League. It's as close, I know we've talked before, it's as close as you're going to get to the double-A hockey of the early to mid-2000s that you're going to find nowadays. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, there's still, you, you'll get a few guys, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a kid named Ryan Devine, um, Jake Schultz, They'll go out there, and they were born. They're born a decade too late. Yep. Because you know, a, a decade ago they'd be in the AHL, no questions asked. But a lot of these cats seem like they know what minor league hockey is about, which I think is forgotten nowadays. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, I wish these, and it's, it's too bad because. Um, cause the money just isn't there anymore and it'll be really interesting after with this pandemic and everything, what's really going to hit and hurt minor hockey bat. Well, it's going to hurt a lot of things really, but it already has, but minor league hockey, uh, it's going to really hurt. Um, but I was going to say with these minor league teams, it's too bad. If you could just m- maybe, if you could just pump a few more bucks into it in terms of player salary, I think you might get some guys fighting a little more. You know? Oh, absolutely. There's there's fringe guys. Like, so there's there, there's been fringe guys. There was a cat named Jack Nevins. He plays in the Coast League. Yep. Um, there was a cat named Paxton LaRue, who I think he plays uh, lacrosse now. But there's, you know, three or four guys every year that will, you know, just, they don't give a shit. They'll go, they'll throw down with anybody. But that that breed is dying. It was like that. It's like Daniel Amesbury, right? That type of guy, right? Yeah. Like if you would, I always say, if if they have enough money, if you expanded the raw dress one more guy, and 
that way you could have the cement a little bit, you know, and then yeah, a few more bucks. I think it would. I think it would help out. Maybe 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 my ass, but I think it would. Well, that's kind of what you see down here in the Southern League. There's not a whole lot of you know. You get there's they dress seventeen. Yeah. Or wait, sixteen. So you get you know three lines of forwards, three lines of defense, and then that tenth forward or seventh defenseman. And if if every team had one of those guys, it would be a hell of a lot more entertaining. Whereas you get you know one or two or three teams have that you know that eleventh forward or that you know seventh defenseman. Yeah, it's like the same old story, right? You'll get a few teams that get it, and they'll have a couple of those guys, and then you'll have other teams that just re- coaches that just refuse to do that, you know, and they just go with the pussy lineup, and yeah, and it's just. I don't know. I, I always say if you could kind of somehow, if you could take the Quebec League, the LNAH, and put it down in the states, I think it would. I think it would sell, do very well. Oh, absolutely! Look how popular MMA is nowadays. Yep. Like everybody is going to spend sixty bucks once a month to buy the UFC pay per view. Yep. But if you can see that. Every other weekend for ten bucks a ticket, you're going to go and watch it. Absolutely, no, and that, and that violence sells, despite what it does. Red eye sells, despite what Twitter will tell you. It um, maybe not at the NHL. Well, it still does at the NHL level too. But no, especially in the lower minors. Oh yeah, like I said, fifty cent draft night and a few fights. Get yourself a good night. Well, yeah, the, the, the Quad City Storm in the Southern League, they'll have, you know, Friday nights, they'll have, you know, a buck or two buck drafts until the first period ends, and you'll get college kids coming in, flocking to the stadium, yep. an extra thousand people in there, spending two bucks a beer, and they see, you know, one or two good scraps, and they're hooked. Yep. No, exactly. And you need it. You need that. And it. um yeah, I mean that's what made that's what's made the minor leagues go for this long. You know, the lower minor the American leagues one thing, but I mean like we said before with the United League and the Central and the West Coast and all those Southern League and stuff, you know, people aren't going to see the next NHL superstar, you know. You got to entertain them. And uh and just like I said going through tonight just talking about these names, the names we threw out and the characters, man. The Jimmy Duharts and the Bouchards and the, you know, and the Les Borsheims and Brad Essex and Dave Stewart's. I mean, people remember those guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a, a late thirties guy sitting in his basement, remembering a guy like Dave Stewart, undersized guy, didn't score a hell of a lot of points, but you know what? He was memorable for years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and people remembered that, but. Uh... But yeah, man, that was, um, you know, I think we've, I don't know how, because I, I broke it up time-wise, I think we're at least two hours, uh, for sure. Um, I, I, I don't I, know how, yeah, I know how entertaining it is. I'm, Your I'm, listeners probably, uh, you know, hit the uh, skip forward button. Oh, fuck. They'll run it to the coolhockey.com ad suggestion every once in a while. Exactly. Coolhockey.com, THPN, 30% off. Yeah. 
I was telling Isha uh, that runs this thing, I said the cool hockey, I said it's, I, I really wish that they had minor league jerseys on there. Oh, fucking hell, buddy. Yeah. I'm glad they don't because I would be broke. I said, who do you talk to to get some minor league stuff on there? I said, you might even convince my fat ass to buy one. Yeah. Yeah, but. Oh, uh, I would, it would be. So, okay, out of the blue, I put an ad on Madison, Madison, Wisconsin, Craigslist. I said, hey, you know, I want a Madison Monsters game worn jersey. A guy out of the blue emails me. He's got a Link Gates home and away authentic jersey. Wow. And if they had that on coolhockey.com, uh, THPN, 30% off. <laughs> if they had it on cool hockey, I'd order both of them. Yep. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, um, yeah, no, that, yeah, actually, maybe it's a good thing they don't mind the jerseys, like you said. Um, well, I know you had a bunch of yeah, notes there. Did we, did we cover everything? Uh, for the most part, I think so. D- did you have a story that we missed? Um, just a couple dub guys that played in the uh, ECHL incarnation of the Mallards. Hit me with them. Are you uh, familiar with Mitch McComb or Tyler Jaworski? Uh, Mitch McComb, I believe uh, it's MCO. Yeah, he played for the Blades, if I remember. He did. As a matter of fact, he did. I, I made a, uh, in my ultra-professional notes that looked like they were scrawled by a nine-year-old child with a crayon in his fist. He played his one year of pro hockey here in Quad City. That that kid was a beast. And I, I'm trying to, what year? No, no, he didn't play for Saskatoon. It was Regina he played for. I was going to say, and because I was watching junior footage, and I've heard and I heard his name a bunch of times. Ah, no, that's where I've seen it. Tri-Cities. Yes, I actually just put one of his fights up on my YouTube page a little while ago. I have a Tri-Cities. Yes, you did. Yes, it's an 0809 Tri-City. I'm like, I know the name. How do I know the name? Yes, he uh, yeah, he pounded some guy. But yeah, he played for Tri-Cities for a few years, and I have a fight DVD from one of those years, and it's got a bunch of his fights on there. So that's where I know Yeah, he was, he was a, a big kid. He played for here. Uh, he played in Quad City 12-13. Oh, there was a kid. Okay, so... I'm not one to throw a guy under the bus. I don't like the sewer guys. So there was a cat who played in Flint, and then he played in Bloomington. Named Steve Mackway. Yes. So there was a, there was a kid in Quad City named Corey McGillis, and he in the preseason he absolutely beat the brakes off this kid, and I don't remember who he fought from Bloomington. Um. But it was it did not end well for the cat from Bloomington. And then in the first regular season game, Steve Mackway came up from behind and just elbowed Corey McGillis in the back of the head, run him in the boards. I think McGillis had seven or eight pro games total from this point and ended his career. Yeah. Brutal. And then I, I think Mackway ended up playing in Evansville after that. No. But that was one uh, one of the few notes I made, aside from, oh, wait, no, I mentioned that. Yeah, there wasn't uh, not a whole lot that I wrote down that we didn't get to. That's good. Well, I mean, it certainly uh, isn't going to be the last time you're on the show. Um, we'll definitely have to do a roundtable. We'll have to get Alec on here. 
you know, we'll really, we'll really hit bottom. We'll get him on. And uh, oh God, who the hell is going to listen to that shit? Probably nobody. But at that point, I mean, I'll probably have lost my sponsorship and everything else. But I mean, even I, I mean, I have fun doing it. So, can I always say it's my show. People don't like it. Start your own podcast. You know, I love it. But uh, no, it was. Uh, no, and like I was saying to you earlier, I said I, and I was saying it to Alec today uh, on Twitter. I'm like, why the hell haven't we had uh, a Jay on before? I don't understand. You know, but uh, because eh, I, I'm not the most interesting guy out there. I got a I got a story or two, but not a whole lot to uh, pass around. Well, I had fun. You know, like I said, it's that's the one thing I've, I've really enjoyed about uh, hosting this podcast was not only to have the players on. I mean, they're fun to talk to and everything too, but um, just the fellow fight fans. And like I said, everybody's from a different area, and everyone has a different story, and everyone has a story. So uh, no, it's been fun uh, connecting with you and Alec and Doctor Chris out there, and uh, Farmer Rob and all those cats, and um, you know, and Steve and. And uh, Dave at the History of Hockey Fights and all those guys, um, you know, and like I said, all from different regions and all have different, uh, well, everyone has pretty much the same opinion on the fighting and stuff, but uh, just in terms of uh, their hockey fandom, everyone has their own unique story and it's fun to get them. So that's why I was really happy to have you on. It was cool. Yeah, and it's, it's fun to listen to the perspectives of like, you know, Alec or Chris or you know, John Searson over in the UK. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me, you know, just some schlub here in the Midwest, just to hear their, you know, their point of view on the same stuff that, you know, I like and I, you know, I get into. Yeah, no, exactly. And like I said, Searson, especially, you know, because he's got the UK perspective. Myself out here, of course, I got the Western Hockey League junior perspective. And then you, of course, have the Quad City and the UHL and Alec, uh, you know, out in Florida there. And, um, you know, and then uh, Nick there that asked about St. Charles. I mean, of course, he had the Missouri take. Um, I'll have to get him back on the show, too. And, uh, yeah, so, no, and, uh, no, man, it's it's been cool to uh, to sit and talk to all you guys. And, uh, you know, it had Drew on there, Pelto. So you got the North American Hockey League uh, from a commentator standpoint. That was a good, that was a fun talk because I never get to talk about the NAHL. I mean, I didn't know really much about the league. So it was cool to get filled in by Drew about it. And that was fun. Oh, yeah. I I tell you what, I didn't know a whole lot about the, uh, especially Canadian junior scene until I started listening to your show. Um, And then drew on there talking about all the nahl stuff it was great yeah no exactly and uh, no it's so it's been really fun in that way uh you know just to get like i said people from different regions and stuff and you know and and like we were saying before i mean we you know we uh bitch about twitter and social media cesspool and everything but at the same time that wouldn't happen without twitter right all you to talk to and, and end up connecting with all you guys so you know, social media definitely has its positives too. Yeah, I try to I try to limit myself. I, I you know I look on Twitter. That's about it. I don't I don't do the Instagram. I don't do the Facebook. No, yeah. but you know it's 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 pretty cool to have that little community that we have on there. No, absolutely, and uh, like I said, it's a, a pretty solid core group and sharing the pictures and the fight videos and stuff, and you know, and like I said, and the fact that you, I know you've always been a big supporter of the show, and I appreciate that, and uh, no, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun talking to all you guys, and 
No, man. And like I said, I think people will really enjoy this episode. And uh, like I said, give them a different perspective, some minor league stuff from the Midwest. And I really, uh, really well, want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I don't know about people enjoying it, but if it takes their minds off uh, the shit that's going on nowadays for a minute or two, I'm happy with that. Uh, that's all. Yeah, that's pretty much all we can ask for nowadays. If we can get taken away to somewhere, somewhere else uh, for a couple hours, uh, you know, and, and and talk about the good old days, I think uh, I think it's a a very needed a very needed escape. So, no, I know people are going to enjoy it. But uh, with that, Jay, thank you very much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Dan, for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, the best to all your listeners. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 